Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Hey guys, a quick note. Since we recorded this episode, there has been some recent news and discussion related to our conversation on Whedon and feminism. We've recorded an extra little bit, which will come after our main discussion. Welcome to a very special episode of Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Everybody's got a story. This week, we're taking a break from our episode analysis to celebrate our 200th episode and four years of this podcast with a discussion on diversity in science fiction and fantasy film and TV. All right. So, um, I guess we might as well set the scene a little bit here because we knew we were coming up on our 200th and our four-year anniversary. We're actually a wee bit over those at this point um, because we've been kind of thinking for a little while about what we could do for like a bonus discussion, which we've done it well, they past. Uh, yeah, they didn't quite line up maybe as well as they have in the past but like yeah it's no we're, but we're, we're a little past the less, four years but we're right about at 200 so i think it works it yeah. works out yeah close <laughs> enough close enough um within you know a couple weeks of each other which is you know sure yeah close enough um and we kind of you know obviously wanted to like not force it if we didn't have anything but um we actually, you, I should say, did come up with um, an interesting sort of, you know, outside topic to discuss. Um, uh, not that diversity isn't an important issue all the time, but there happen sure. to be, you know, a few things of note lately, like within the past couple days in particular, um, that are sort of making the the news cycle. Um, you know, first of all, first of all, being Jodie Whittaker's announcement as the 13th doctor which uh was just about um a week ago mm-hmm. as we're recording this um and then uh it oh, also a week ago there was the season premiere of game of thrones and um with that uh john boyega from star wars uh you know gave an interview where he said some opinions of his own about that show and sure. about uh you know, the state of diversity and fantasy and things like that. Um, which, I mean, that kind of brings Game of Thrones into it. There's also the announcement of this new Benioff and Weiss show, which has caused some controversy in, you know, the Twitter sphere of, you know, uh, this Confederate thing that they're doing. Um, mm. And then with John Boyega's, you know, presence, you have... Star Wars being involved in that conversation too. That's been very in, you know, discussions um, and made some different and bolder choices in, you know, the realm of diversity lately and everything. Um, sure. So it kind of brings in all these different things. And then you also pointed out, I mean, these questions are relevant to all of Whedon's shows, um, but even as recently as earlier, like this spring, um, Whedon gave an interview with The Hollywood Reporter about um, his regrets about um, some of his show's uh, strides they may not have made in that realm that he sort of wishes he had done differently. So, um, you know, there's just some things which are kind of 
in the air, and it seems like a good time to talk about them since we kind of were looking to chat about something else anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, kind of the more we thought about it, like, I mean, you know, obviously the shows that we talk about, like, I think there's some interesting, um, you know, things to say around diversity, and and I think, uh, you know, some of that, like with Doctor Who, you know, is is still going on, right? Like, I mean, it, you know, there's you just wrapped up a, a season, and you know, they're preparing for the next series with a new Doctor and and all of that, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, with the twentieth anniversary of Buffy, like you kind of get a whole new wave mm-hmm. of praise and criticism, um, not just rehashing necessarily the same things but also like with a new perspective and and i think um one of the things i find interesting is that like there's there's different emphasis maybe placed on you know shows like buffy and even bsg which you pointed out and i hadn't really thought about it this way but even bsg is coming up on being almost 10 years old since it ended right like when did it right it's more it? than 10 years since it started yeah more than 10 years since it started but even that like with some of the um casting changes um which isn't just limited to um you know the the one you think of is like starbuck right like that's the one mm-hmm. everyone thinks of but um also when you think about uh both athena and boomer were mm, yep. n- not not just uh, gender changes, but also uh, racial uh, changes mm-hmm. in as far as who they cast and put into those, um, you know, uh, characters or, or whatever. And so, you know, I, I think there's some really interesting stuff to kind of see, you know, what's the criticism like today versus maybe what mm-hmm. criticisms were previously and, and how much of that, like, holds up in the long run and how much of it is maybe kind of like, well, you know, like how much should we be treating, you know, older shows like, you know, the old, you know, maybe somewhat racist grandpa sitting on the porch, you know, you you know, where you just kind of say it's a product of a different time and, and, um, you you know, kind of forgive it a little bit, but sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so, and I think that we're hopefully maybe going to bring in some other uh, shows and things too, as they just sort of spring to mind. But I think it, it's an interesting question for all of the ones that we've talked about, because they all have that longevity. Like, you know, I mean, Whedon's works broadly, but Buffy in particular kind of span, if you kind of count the movie and then go into like the seven year long show, um, you know, and, and a little more than that, if you include Angel, and then if you include all the comics and everything, it's, it's ongoing. Sure. That spans, you know, the kind of 90s and the aughts and in the, like, you know, period that we are in today. So it has a long sort of shelf life where things are changing. Um, and it's particularly during a time where there's a lot of changes, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like, especially with like LGBT, you know, representation and things like that Mm. um but then if you look at things like classic who and battlestar galactica like those shows are updating 
you know, consciously doing kind of rebooted updates of things that were on in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, which is going even further back. And it's less of, they are continuations in a way. I mean, certainly Doctor Who is, and we've even talked about how BSG kind of somewhat is a continuation in the like, oh, this has happened before. Like, but... They all, they are both also like reboots. Like they, sure. there was a, there was a gap and they're brought back by new people, new writers with new ideas. So there's a kind of like yeah. self-conscious, like um, we're going to do those stories for today. And so then again, like, A, to what extent do you like change your mode of criticism for those old grandpa shows from like the sixties and seventies, but then also if BSG and Buffy and Doctor Who were on 10 or 15 years ago, things have changed even since then. And again, like, to what extent do you hold those things to the standards of today? Um, You know, like, so like with BSG in particular, it reminds me a lot of, maybe because it kind of started around the same time, but like, it's similar to me of like Lost, where... At the time, that felt like the most diverse, inclusive, like they have brown people, Asian people, gay people, like everything. And like, isn't this great? Like it just this, it had this kind of feeling of like, oh, they're just like making, I remember there being quotes of law about the lost cast, like, oh, it's a mini United Nations, like this very like, Mm. (laughs) kind of like, you know, in retrospect, you look at it and you're like, okay, you know, compared to things you see today, was it the most diverse thing ever? No, it wasn't. It felt like it at the time. Um, sure. You know, and um, and I'm not saying that that was, you know, not making great strides in its time. Um, but I think there's this kind of, whoever you are, there's this, it's that chronological snobbery idea of there's this uh, impulse to want to think of your own time as the most evolved version of something. And right. in some ways that might be true. You might be, what was, if you're um, evolving, yes, you are the furthest along a point, but like, what, didn't CS yeah, Lewis I think, have a, have a phrase for that? Like, um, that's, yeah, that's Lewis chronological snobbery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think it's that idea of, yes, like we can celebrate um, milestones as they are achieved, but also I think not feel too proud of ourselves or feel too hard on past selves when they don't achieve the standards that are ever evolving and growing and changing and, you know. And maybe sometimes we can, and maybe sometimes it's fair to criticize things of the past, but um, I guess that's the question, and it's not necessarily an easy one. Mm. Um, like, I'm not always sure what the line is. Like, like with Doctor Who, there are just certain things that if you're going to watch the classic series, and at times the new series, you kind of have to hold your nose against, like, you know, women as kind of damsels in distress. Um, Like, especially the further back you go. 
Um, sure. Well, and even and, and that's, terminology, and that's, right? Like what, like didn't we talked about like assistant versus companion, right? Like, right. Like there's sort right. of an, an upgrade in status when you, when right. you change right. the terminology there, uh, uh, at least a right. little bit. Right. And, and, and I think most lovers of it would, would kind of say like, yes, that's something you kind of, you can acknowledge while also enjoying the classic series for what it is and like not shying away from the fact that it didn't always get its gender politics right, but also like not saying like, well, therefore you shouldn't watch it. Mm. Um, but then there are definitely like, I've, you know, uh, read some pretty scathing criticism about, you know, even if you kind of accept there is a certain amount of cultural um, misogyny or racism that is just inherent in when it was made. Mm. Are there times where it went too far, even for its own day and like included, you know, uh, racial stereotypes that were, you know, uh, not appropriate even in 1965, um, which it certainly did. Like there's, there are episodes that are kind of about, you know, Chinese people or black people or whatever that like is kind of like even then you kind of have to feel like somebody should have known better. Um, so I don't think just because you can acknowledge chronological snobbery doesn't mean that these things are sort of criticism proof either and that there's no room for critique of things that are past. Um, sure. And it's a sort of fine line to walk, I think. Sure. Well, and that's, I mean, yeah, it it definitely is difficult because I think like, like on the one hand, it's certainly worth recognizing where the failures were because then maybe, you know, maybe going forward, you can watch to not, you know, fall into those same, you know, sort of pitfalls or whatever. But when you have a show that I think at least tries or, or you know, an, an auteur or, you know, writers or whatever who at least try to do better than like the current shows that are around them like like it's almost like how much of it do you you know how much can should you grade on sort of a, a relativistic scale based on mm -hmm. you know what else is going on sort of in art and the world and whatever at the time versus how much you know like should you be measuring them at the level uh, you know, that you're measuring today. So like, uh, mm. maybe just use an analogy, like, you know, in sports terms, you, you know, times that would have, you know, set race records in the Olympics, like 20, 25 years ago are like now like baselines for like races to like even qualify. You know what I mean? Like, like over time, there's just like, there's different, you know, there's better, technology and like running shoes and there's you know better science behind training and you know nutrition and like all of these things that have just sort of collectively made athletes you know better at what they do and any one of them might have been gold medalists had they raced you know 20 30 whatever years ago but you know today they may not even place right. you know um, because the competition itself has just sort of increased so much. And so, you know, that same sort of, like, like if you think of like, I, I don't know what you call it, progress or enlightenment or 
chronological snobbery or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. like you know that's that's maybe where we are today is like it, is it fair to measure you know those shows on today's standards or is it is it worth acknowledging like oh maybe had we done these things we could have done better but you know for its time it it, it mm -hmm. kind of actually did kind of push the lines um you know with a show like Buffy where you're talking about like the first like real lesbian kiss that wasn't like made for you know like laughs or right you know, or like titillation right, or titilla something like yeah. it was a you know real genuine moment between lovers you know and that kind of thing right. like which is right. I mean I think still today a lot of people recognize that with like Willow and Tara and mm -hmm. but then at the same time it's like you know there's a lot of maybe not wholly undeserved but you know a lot of you know things about like you know Buffy not being sort of the feminist icon that today's feminists would want her to be when it's mm -hmm. like well 20 years ago like people were maybe just happy to have someone who you know was like Buffy on the screen at all because that mm -hmm. just hadn't really been done you know other than maybe like Xena that would like just hadn't been done really mm -hmm. to that point um so right um you know again like like it's that difference between recognizing you know what maybe are the things that that can be changed or or reconsidered you know going forward versus like it yeah it, se it seems a little unfair to like say like like because what can you do like you can't go back and like redo it like, even if you were to reboot right. the show today, I mean, that's why there are reboots, right? It's because you can't just, like, go back and, like, maybe do a shot-for-shot -shot remake, but just fix the things that were bad. Like, you would have to, like, right, right. you would have to, like, just go completely redo the show from scratch, and it would just be a different show altogether. Right, and, and that's what I was going to say is, uh, you know, a reboot isn't really even redoing anything anyway. It's a new thing. Um yeah. Like even very slavish ones, they're never, I mean, that's the kind of, um, uh, I understand that there are more complicated things. Maybe there aren't, there may be more complicated sentiments underneath this, but I think that's what the kind of like blank is ruining my childhood reaction misses out on is that you're sure. never really you're never taking away the thing of somebody's childhood when you're rebooting it yeah. you know what i mean like it's always a new thing even if it's very close um if you adapt a book if you remake a movie if you reboot a tv show it never does anything to the old thing i mean it may i'm not saying it won't do anything obviously it adds ideas it adds conversation it may change people's perceptions of whatever the original sort of product was or the original story but it doesn't take away a the original thing itself or b your personal experience of it mm -hmm. um you know yeah so i think that's the kind of like yeah you're never truly for good or bad, you can never really undo something. Once it's sort of published and out there in the world, mm -hmm. it's no longer belongs to any one person. It's out there to be defended or critiqued as it is. And you can really only critique it 
via other mediums. You know, you can't really undo it and take it apart and remake it. You can, you can write about it. You can talk about it. You can remake it. You can write your fanfic or whatever you want to do. Um, sure. But you can't like say, well, there, you know, there's no other official version of Buffy that's rewritten to somebody else's whim. Buffy is Buffy. And it's sort of this thing which exists, um, you know, which I think does that make for problems that you didn't realize at the time and you wish you could go back and fix? Sure. But on the other hand, I don't know. I think it's, it would be a false idea to say that anything could ever be perfect. And so in that sense, you're always going to be putting something out there with its imperfections. Um, and you can try to get it as good as you can, but there's always going to be those things that you wish you could go back and fix or redo or have another go at. Um, sure. And I think the lesson for us now is to, you know, be thoughtful, be critical, demand high quality, demand inclusiveness or whatever, but also realize it's not like we have the last word on anything because like you said, when 10 years from now, what are going what are the things going to be that we look back in and kind of yeah. shake our, our heads at ourselves of like, you know, oh I Right. We totally, totally didn't that. even think about this yeah. aspect of something that now today seems very important. Sure. Um Yeah. Um so Well so we're we're kind of it occurs to me, and maybe this is an easy answer, and this is as far as the conversation needs to go. It seems like so far we're both of the opinion that diversity as a thing is a positive. That's a positive word. That's not a sure like you know a bad word. You know that the idea that like storytellers and people who watch them or read them should want to be more inclusive of different types of people is inherently a worthwhile idea. Um, not everybody agrees with that. <laughs> and maybe we don't, maybe we do. And maybe that's the end of the discussion for this podcast. I don't feel the need to play devil's advocate for, you know, people whose opinions I don't totally get. Um, sure. But, um, but it's worth bringing up that like, okay, we can talk about how you talk about diversity or what's the best way to do it or what's the best way to critique things and how do you critique things of the past and all that kind of thing. But we're both kind of assuming that it's a worthwhile endeavor and that it's not just like a purely um, well, politically correct kind of like sig virtue signaling kind of so, thing. So this goes um, actually into something that I was thinking about and it's not quite, um, we sort of had a very rough outline here and it doesn't quite um fit within that necessarily but one of outline one one of the um things like you brought up uh, you know john boyega criticizing game of thrones um and uh in that um interview or article or statement or whatever whatever it was um i also remember him you know talking about like Lord of the Rings and, and it being, mm. you know, basically all white and, and you don't see anyone of color um, in, in the films and um, which is true, but 
here's the here's the thing there. So I I would generally say yes. I, I agree with you. Diversity is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Except when maybe there's a reason for the non-diversity. And so here's the thing. Here sure. I, I, I'll throw this out, and you're you're much more the, a Tolkienist than I am. So um, you react to this, but like, or or I'll I'll throw it to you to react to if you so desire. I guess I should say I, I didn't mean that as like a order or, <laughs> or a command or anything. But like, you know. Tolkien was creating a mythology for England and specifically like a pre, you know, historical, um, mm-hmm. you know, mythology, which would presumably be fairly heterogeneous, um, mm-hmm. racially speaking. So, you know, is it appropriate in something like Lord of the Rings to, mm-hmm. you know, for the diversity, maybe not to be racial, you, you know, you would still want it to be perhaps, you know, gender diverse or, you know, have other um, forms of diversity and, and personality and characteristic and that sort of thing. But is there is there any sort of forgiveness that we could give to it, you know, given that mm-hmm. that's sort of the, you know, purpose or goal that Tolkien had? in creating that kind of um, thing. But, you know, on, on the other hand, I'll throw in there too, that of course in the books, he does actually describe at least somewhat more diversity, right? I mean, he, he, he there are sort of the dark Southerners, right? Or, or Southrons, mm-hmm. you know, who come up from below and, and the Easterlings who, who seem to be of a different race and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, whether he portrays them positively right. and, and then, you know, that's a different right. issue as well, but, um, you know, that that would be one question that I have is like, you know, I agree with you that in general, diversity is a good thing. But but are there sort of stories where, like with Lord of the Rings, when it's, you know, primarily a, a story about a particular time or era of a particular, you know, land where you might not actually expect a ton of diversity is that is that okay or should or should our sort of modern sensibilities about diversity take precedence and say no you know we always have the power to adapt that story and so mm-hmm. it should be adapted to to portray a, a more diverse world right and, well, and so I think sorry it's... so so can i extend that though and also then yes. what does that mean for game of thrones which i i've also always right. taken westeros as being basically England and like Scotland mm. and you know like the wall is basically like Hadrian's wall and and mm. like that type of thing like it even kind of looks a little like the English island when you look at maps of it you know mm-hmm. um and that sort of thing well, it's, it's I'll tell you what it is because Gurr Martin uh, said this it's it's literally Ireland upside down like you take the map of Ireland you flip it upside down and that's what's right. so yeah, it's like yes, explicitly sort of. Right. So, like, you know, like does that does that Anglo Irish forgive some of the lack of diversity, or is it, or, or again, is it like, well, these are all made up worlds anyway, so we should be able to like make it as diverse as we want to, you know? Right. And right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it. I I like I think like we were saying when these 
things are being done very much for me anyway, personally plays into it. Like I do find, I, I do find Tolkien easier to forgive than somebody writing an equivalent type of thing today, just because the time in which he created was so radically different from our own. And I think like we have quotes to show that he was, um, you know, not, I think he was of his time. I think there are certainly quotes that we would cringe at today. And then there are other ones that show him to be pretty liberal minded for his day. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, he, yes, he portrays the kind of dark outsiders as the kind of looming threat, which can make us uncomfortable, um, you know, which is true. And I think some of our discomfort might be warranted, but then there's also his quotes in, in the story about, um, you know, Sam wondering about the, who these people were and what kind of lies led them out of their own homelands to, sure. you know, somebody else's homeland, which I think show him to be quite, you know, yeah, um, show Tolkien to be quite um, open-minded about other people's. It, um, it very much, I think, deflates some of that otherness that you might be inclined to feel if you're paying attention right. in that moment anyway. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Now, I think things get more complicated than when you're talking about adaptations, films that are being made today based on his stuff, because I think you do have to take other things into consideration. Um, you know, like, it doesn't... I don't know. I think when Tolkien's writing about Englishness and this being an English mythology, again, that means one thing in 1945, and it means something different today. I mean, English can, like, does mean racially kind of Germanic, Anglo-Saxon, you know, uh, but also I think if you think of England today, are you really thinking about, or at least I'm not necessarily thinking about the racial character of what the English are, but more the kind of characteristics of England and English people. And in that way, like, does the definition of what an English story kind of change? Like Doctor Who is a very English story and it reflects in some ways the fact that England today is hugely racially diverse. Um, I mean, I don't think that's what Tolkien was getting at, but am I offended when Peter Jackson includes, you know, some black people in, you know, Lake Town in the Hobbit movies? No, I'm not. Like, it, it I feel like there is also, if we're going to give kind of Tolkien some leeway to be of his time, I think there's also something about being of your own time too mm. that isn't necessarily wrong um so yeah i feel like i had another point but i've kind of lost it a little bit so yeah no i think those are all the end of those are those are fair points that yeah like you can i mean and again we're talking you know like you brought up with doctor who earlier and and um you know, the original Battlestar Galactica and stuff, like you're talking about 
stories that span decades. So if if you are going to revive it or reimagine it or you know reboot it or re whatever it you know you can you know you can do it in a way that doesn't that can remain faithful maybe to the tone or the um sort of points or or like underlying themes of the original without necessarily having to rely on you know the exact uh mm. you know racial makeup or you know mm. descriptions even of you know the characters in the story and and I also like I mean you know there have been stories and films and remakes where like you know maybe the person in the uh uh you know film version or tv version actually doesn't look anything like it and i'm thinking um you know right now uh coming up here in just a couple of weeks is is uh the dark tower movie that you mm. know stephen king uh based on the stephen king series and this is sort of a very deliberate and uh uh i think well cast you know change uh, to have Idris uh, Alba, uh, did I say that right? It, uh, Elba. Elba. Thank you. Sorry, I'm like, yeah, I, I missed up pronounced his last name. Idris Elba, you know, playing uh, Roland Deschain, who in in right. the books, and even you know, I, I'm rereading them right now, and even in the artwork for the stories is, um, you know, described as and and looks very much like you know your typical spaghetti western cowboy mm-hmm. you know john wayne or or you right. know clint eastwood um you know ca- right. Caucasian, everyone expected you know whatever and and basically yeah. stephen king was like yeah you know sure like there's no reason why he can't be black like you right. know you can talk about the character and and you know be true to the story you know with a different you know with right. someone of a different race and and that kind of thing right. so um, right. Well, everybody expected Matthew McConaughey to be. That's that would be right your when he was casting. When he was would cast. be, he's the yeah. gunslinger, and Idris Elba would be the man in black. And so it's you know, you know, and I think like if you're dealing with Tolkien, who's writing quote a mythology for England, yes, that does complicate things. And I think there are times when, um, like if you're dealing with the national or ethnic character of a people, maybe it is more appropriate to you know, have a more homogenous casting and everything. But that's where I feel like um, Game of Thrones isn't like that because I feel less than you that it's that deeply connected to England. Yes, it borrows a lot from its geography and history, um, but I, to me that feels more like a fantasy other world that isn't necessarily serving as a prehistory to anything oh, for yeah. us. Oh, yeah, no, sure. Um And so I feel, and, and I mean, even within the show, they've sort of, they have in some ways gestured towards, you know, casting other types of folks, which I think, I think kind of goes again to your point that it's the ones that maybe try to, you know, clear a new bar that then you're disappointed that much more when they fail than the ones that like, don't even go there in the first place. You know, that you're kind of like, you see the potential in Game of Thrones to have it be um, a much more varied population. And then when you kind of, I can understand looking at 
the main cast and feeling underwhelmed by. <laughs> but even even that, you know. like okay, so like I, I I take your point that like, like yeah, maybe they just he just used the outline of Ireland, but like that doesn't necessarily mean you have to. It, it's not like with Tolkien where it's like supposed to be tied to the actual Ireland, meant to be Ireland, yeah. right? But like even right. at that, like I mean, we're still talking like a northern climate and then you know i think it seems like like you have like the dornish folk who are generally like more olive skinned or you know a little bit darker than you know the starks of the north and like all the north right but like you're still talking about like a fairly northern climate but then you know you get across the the narrow sea or whatever and and you have mm -hmm. the dothraki and you have you know the free cities where where the people are Again, darker, mm -hmm. you know, that's where, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you have like the, the unsullied and, and, all, you know, a lot of them, uh, right. you know, with the darker skin and stuff. So I like, I feel like as the story broadens, like you do get more of that diversity and, and maybe some of that is, like, maybe you could say, well, it would be nicer to have, you know, more of that. Um, and that's, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. But, you know, just sort of looking at, like, it's a northern climate. And, you know, there are, there are reasons, you know, why people in the north have lighter skin. You know, there's the whole, like, vitamin d mm -hmm. sun thing going on here right, like like right. which is actual like biological scientific stuff so sure. you know you would expect to find lighter skinned people there so i i guess that's just sort of my thought too is like i get and and i'm not i'm not necessarily saying that i think game of thrones gets it right or that there there mm -hmm. isn't room for more diversity i'm just asking the question do do those sorts of stories allow you to have more leeway when there's less diversity than maybe just sort of mm -hmm. a typical so like maybe to contrast that with like a science fiction story like firefly where there's a very good criticism levied against it where it's like this is supposed to be you know a future uh multi uh you know, inter intergalactic uh, world, I almost, intergalactic world, an intergalactic, like, society that's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of equal English-speaking and Chinese-speaking, but, like, the representation... Right, like, no Chinese yeah, represent <laughs> The representation of actual Chinese or, or even Asian people right. in general is almost nil. Um, right. Like, that, to me, seems like a much more valid criticism as much as I love Firefly and sort of the themes mm -hmm. and things that it, you know, looks at, I, I see that as a much more valid criti criticism than something where, you know, geographically you might actually expect there not to be as many, as much diversity mm -hmm. in Westeros as, sure. you know, people are maybe saying there should be. Well, and it's been a while since I read the book, so I don't remember to what extent the the castings of the show are based on descriptions of the novel. Sure. So maybe we can separate decisions that, you know, Ger Martin made versus, um, you know, the, sorry, I have to say that, um, 
versus like Benioff and Weiss. And maybe there's times where they're the same decision and maybe there's times where it was different and you could, I don't remember well enough. So I'm kind of, I guess, more basing this on my, on my perception of the show, just because I don't remember the descriptions of the books that well enough. Um, but, um, I guess I don't feel, I would be very surprised if the whole like vitamin D, how far are you from the equator question came into any casting decisions as far as like the show is concerned. Um, I mean, and and I agree. Like, well, can I just say, you get things like, like you get like Melisandre, right? Is supposed to Thank you. That's the name I was trying to think of. No. So she's supposed to, the the red lady. Not yeah, no, not her. Uh who who's the um who's Daenerys's uh Oh like, Miss Miss Sandy. Miss Sand- thank Miss Sandy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Sandy. who I was trying to think of before. So but if we're if we're going the kind of okay, we'll go with consistency and sort of some geographic like realism to it, I believe isn't Melisandre, the Red Lady, the kind of priestess of the Red God, supposed to be from Essos. And so, by that theory, shouldn't she be one of the darker-skinned people? That she's this person from over the sea. And so, I feel like that's just one... I don't don't have a problem with that actress not saying she shouldn't have been cast. I'm just saying, like, I think they, they conveniently ignore things like that or don't even consider them when they're casting someone they like. And shouldn't that go for, you know, the brown folks as well as the white folks? You know, like, that's it, it, it seems like at times it's a bit of a one-way street of... And I think that comes up a lot, whether we're talking about gender or yeah. race or whatever it is, that, like, you're colorblind in one sense. It, it's... At times it feels like you're, if it's kind of like mainstream, straight person, white person, male person, whatever, that's the kind of like assumed default setting that isn't making any kind of statement. And if you go outside of that, then you're making some sort of statement and there's like strings attached in a way that like nobody questions if you cast, you know, a Danish woman to play melisandre and say oh she should have you know been played by like a black actor or something um but going based on where she's from geographically she should resemble those other people um and then i think there's also the issue too of okay not just who do you cast but then what kinds of roles and what are you doing with them and i think there is a i think there's a valid criticism of it's a shame that like the, you know, Grey Worm and Missandei are, you know, the most prominent black characters who are, you know, the freed slaves that like, do the black people always have to be the slaves in, you know, um, in even in fantasy settings, as well as in, you know, historical primary world settings. Um, I think it just, those are good actors in, and they're good in those roles. So I'm not saying they shouldn't have been cast. I think it just betrays maybe a lack of imagination or a lack of maybe I feel like there's some room for a more thoughtful, you know, 
way of going about your casting. And maybe it's a kind of case of in trying to be inclusive and cast different types of people, you're bound to make the mistakes of putting people into a stereotypical situation that I don't believe is intended by those creators, but is, you know, hard to avoid, I guess. Um, which I guess this gets into everybody's tizzy about Confederate because <laughs> it's like, you know, um, I think people are nervous of if, you know, Benioff and Weiss are the, the, the ones to write about a kind of alternate universe civil war. Right. You know, right. So, the, so Confederate is the show in which the idea is that the, the Confederate States of America won the civil war. Right. Right. Um, so quick thing, apparently Melisandre in the book is described as having uh, copper hair and pale skin. So mm. I, I, you know, that's not to say that maybe you're wrong that, you know, she should, mm. she should not look that way. Like maybe that's a mistake on Gurr Martin's part, as you call him. Um, but or just, or just to say at least that the portrayal you... is, is, seems to be faithful in the show to what she's portrayed as in the book. But maybe, maybe you're right. Like maybe if she's from that part of the world, she shouldn't have that. Well, and I, and I wonder to what extent in his imagination, the different um, countries or kingdoms or geographical areas are supposed to be that ethnically pure anyway. Like, is this, is this a world with a lot of, trade a lot of movement are different populations mixing with each other i mean well like for me if you're doing game of thrones i feel like there's a freedom to say like all right casting a family to resemble each other is one thing but is there any rule that says that all of the people in you know uh high garden have to look one way and all the people in doran have to look one other way could there be some room that these are very you know, sure, like melting pot kind of situations where there's a lot of come and go and intermingling. And I feel like if you're dealing with a fantasy world, which isn't supposed to be any one particular place, that's your open window but, to do something like that. But don't you get the sense that like in a show like Game of, or, or in a show or like a, a book or whatever, like a Game of Thrones that like, like there's also the privilege aspect, right? Like, like there are there's some movement by you know the the nobility certainly back mm -hmm. and forth and maybe you know a little spreading of seed in that respect um mm -hmm. but like otherwise like the only the only other movement you see is like the movement of armies and like mm -hmm. on both sides most of them all just get killed anyway so like even if there is like like you know maybe the darker Dornish folk come up, but then like they all die in battle. So there's not like there's not like a mingling of, you know, genetic material, <laughs> you know, sure. that kind of thing. And I, I'm being a little tongue in cheek here, but like mm -hmm. also, like I I don't get the sense that there's a ton of, um, you you know, like just your average person going from like Westeros to Essos or whatever. Right. Right. Like, like, like that mm -hmm. seems like a big deal when that does happen. 
Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there's traders and merchants kind of between them, but they all seem to be like from Essos, right? Like, and they're like, or, or like the free cities or whatever, like they're, they're going back and forth and not necessarily like staying there. So I, you know, I don't, I, I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate here, but, sure. um, you know, again, like, I think there's, there's sort of like the privileged, you know, mobile, and then there's like the people who only like go from place to place so that they can die for their Lord. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah. And, and that those folks aren't necessarily, you know, leaving like a lasting genetic legacy behind. Um, Sure. In any real way. Um, yeah. Even in this most recent episode, you know, no spoilers necessarily, but in this most recent episode of Game of Thrones, they talk about, like, this is the first time that, like, the Dothraki have set foot in Westeros. You know, like, mm -hmm. so, you know, being sort of secluded and an island, like, maybe, maybe is a little more homogenous right. than you might expect sure. other areas to be well and sure like yes there's a difference between a kind of isolated culture versus a, a a city that is the center of you know trade routes and political movements and definitely um, um there can be differences there i just feel like um there just may be opportunities that aren't always taken when they can be. And that, yeah. um, I don't feel like the stuff that you're speculating on is really, my sense is not that the creators are casting based on those things. And so I feel like if, if, if you're, unless you're going to kind of put some rigorous thought into it and have your reasons and kind of follow that plan, then why not just sort of open it up to more people? Um, you know, and I, I think that's part of it too. I mean, I think, you know, having stories in books about different kinds of people is not unimportant. But on the other hand, I feel like something that TV and film has to deal with that, you know, novels doesn't is kind of who gets work. You know, it's like, like literally it's an industry of people working and paying bills and you know affording their their sag dues based on this and so i feel like it there is it's not the only way to make decisions and the only way to cast something but i do feel like there is a part of it that there is a sense of responsibility for creators to widen the pool a bit it, it, when they can and to do so in an intentional and thoughtful way. Um, sure. Cause I think it's easy to just say, Oh, the best person gets the part, you know, and that's true. And we want the best, the best person to get the part, but are we considering the possibilities of who those kinds of people could be? Right. Um, and I don't think always, they don't always open the avenues to make it possible for different kinds of people to get, certain kinds of roles to get bigger right. roles that have and, more extensive time and all those sorts of things. And whether um, conscious or not, does the best person include sort of what your visualization of that person is? Sure. 
And I think sometimes it does more than others. Yeah. I think there are certain characters where what they look like is, you know, and especially like what color they are is very specifically integral to that character. And then there are other times where it doesn't matter so much. Like you said with um, uh, the gunslinger, like, okay, Stephen King wrote him as typical spaghetti Western white guy hero, but like, does it change the essence of the gunslinger if he's played by Idris Elba? Like, I don't think so. I think you'd be silly not to want Idris Elba in your movie. So like, you know, and like, I don't think there's any sort of racial commentary that's ruined by having him in that role. Um, And so if you, if you don't see that he's a talented actor who deserves a good part, then like, ah, Mm. well, I fail to see what, what the argument might be. Um, So, you know, so here's sort of a counter example of this where, um, you know, it turned out really bad is um, Ursula K. Le Guin's Wizard of Ursi, um, her, her, novel of course so Le Guin um has stated like basically all of her characters and her stories are all people of color and including Wizard of Ursi um you know Ged is certainly meant to be uh and and described as in the like explicitly described as in the book as having dark skin and and it's like red brown skin or something you know some like copperish maybe color or whatever but um when they adapted uh that book and and its sequel into um a, a mini series called legend of Ursi, um they <laughs> Le Guin describes him uh the the person cast as ged as a petulant white kid um and and basically i mean you know totally changes like not mm-hmm. not just the casting but the story itself you know was changed and just kind of really yeah. missed some of the entire point of you know what Le Guin was going for in the story and that kind of thing so I mean I you know I think you know in that respect too like it's, it's not even just like missed opportunities to like uh mm-hmm. you know cast a person of color or or you know uh whatever in you know a role that maybe was originally described for a white person but the other way around when it you know, completely like changes the story and makes it, you know, not mm-hmm. as good and, and kind of lessens the impact of the original story to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. that's one example that popped in into my mind. I, there may be others as well. Um, right, right. But yeah. And again, like I don't well, I don't necessarily disagree with you on Game of Thrones. I, I, I but th- those examples it's in particular John Boyega's, uh, you know, comments, those examples kind of popped out to me as like, well, is there, is there any room for forgiveness in talking, Mm -hmm. you know, in in things like that, where maybe you do have more of a tie to, you know, make a case that like, well, the people in this particular area are, you know, Mm -hmm. look a certain way or whatever. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, but I don't necessarily disagree with what you said that like, like maybe you don't always have to be faithful to the book in that particular instance, or maybe there's different considerations when you're, you know, talking about 
a number of years. Because even I, when was the first Game of Thrones was written like twenty years ago now, right? Like the book, the book. yeah, yeah, like yeah. So yeah. so even that you know is you know right. a, a good history, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, ways away. Yeah. Um, but well, and that's one thing that I think BSG kind of um, pleasantly avoided is kind of doing the like. Um, all the Capricans are one thing, all the, you know, sure. whoever else, Torons or something else. Well, like, Sagittarians, you know, you have D and... Sure, then, but you also, right, and but you've also got Zarek and... Right, um, or, yeah, or like Mrs. King or, you know, whatever, you know. Right, right, right. And so, and so, I, and I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. I think there are times where, like, yeah, like maybe what somebody looks like plays more of a role into your perception of the character. And so it, it kind of does inform the character in a certain way. And you want to maybe cast with more of an eye to that. But I feel like I th- the, the racial and prejudice commentary that BSG wants to make, wants to make is more about like um, Cylons and humans. It's more about that. Like that's the kind of, prejudice you know and there might be some cultural things like with the Sagittarians but it's not really about racism per se which I think I think helped it you know because you can kind of look at it and go like yeah Edward James Olmos you know that show like casted you know Mexican-American guy as its lead and it has you know uh Grace Park and Candace McClure and Alessandro Giuliani in like prominent roles of like, you know, and it didn't really matter. They didn't just, because the stories weren't about their race, it didn't have to be about, you know, doing stories about what people like you go through. It kind of just became, well, we're the humans and the Cylons are over there. And, you know, it just kind of gave them a little more freedom, I think, to, I don't know do kind of whatever they wanted with the casting and what those characters were able to do. Not to say that BSG didn't have its problems. Um, you know, but I think that's one way that it was able to kind of avoid some of the, you know, valid or not, some of the criticisms leveled at something like Game of Thrones. So we've kind of talked around the fact that there's a new doctor. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, yeah. So we focus a lot on on sort of race, racial diversity, or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to be said for gender diversity. And we don't well. have to be done with that if we want to keep going with... Yeah, I don't... I mean, I know. think we've talked around a lot of it. Um, I mean... We mentioned Firefly. Buffy has also had its share of criticism for not being very racially diverse, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to, you know, say much about that. In the opposite, I mean, um, sure, you know, I I think, you know, so yeah, you know, Southern California, one might right. expect more, you know, uh, uh, Latino people mm-hmm. or um even asian you know people mm-hmm. have a higher 
representation on the West Coast. Um, and so not having that, um, you know, is a valid criticism, I think. Um, and this is, you know, going back to kind of where we started with, with, you know, Joss's Hollywood Reporter uh, interview, you know, he, he mentions that, but also talks about, you know, sort of the lack of hiring female directors and people of color, uh, you know, as actors and um, sort of thinking at the time that, you know, he says, you know, I thought we were doing really good. People appreciate it and it's hard. So we're going to keep writing the stories. But then kind of now looking back on it, seeing, you know, those places where he could have improved. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, right. I mean, you know, I don't. And that's something I, a lot of, you know, um, I, I know like Stephen Moffat's made comments like that of kind of like looking back at your tenure and kind of, uh, you know, second guessing, I think, your some of your oversights. Um, yeah. And again, I, which I think there's... those criticisms can be valid while also saying the show is what it is. Right. And does that mean that Buffy wasn't well written and doesn't have continue to have an impact and to mean a lot to people and continue to, you know, be relevant, if I can use that word? Um, no, like, I don't think it undoes any of those things at all. Right. Um, or it doesn't have to, we don't have to let it. I don't think it has to become a kind of, you know, defensive thing of um, just pointing out the fact that it wasn't, you know, hugely innovative in that one area doesn't mean that it wasn't mm -hmm. innovative in others. Because um, I think you're going to lose a lot of your history if you kind of try to wish it away. Sure. Um, and pretend that it kind of wasn't what it is. And, you know, that that doesn't necessarily invalidate the things that it did well. Well, and so, yeah. Let's talk about gender. So, female doctor. Mm -hmm. um, there was some, some Twitter reaction to it. Some reaction overall. Mm -hmm. um, right, there definitely were reactions. <laughs> I... So I'll be honest, like, I didn't see that much negative reaction. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying there wasn't any. There certainly mm -hmm. was. But I found what I found interesting sort of with this particular announcement was that there seemed to be more people talking about negative reactions than actual mm -hmm. negative reactions, <laughs> mm. um, at least from my perspective. Now, maybe... You know, it, it's always hard to say, like, you know, oh, you know, you can't prove a negative, right? So, like, you can't say there was no reaction. Right. Um, and well, and if, and I have seen negative reactions, so I wouldn't say that anyway. But, like, like, it's hard for me to say definitively, like, oh, there was yeah. less negative reaction than there was, like, reaction to the reaction. Um, right. Maybe there's just not stuff that I'm seeing. But sure. based on what I've seen, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, at least in my own feeds, and, and I even went around looking a little bit for some of the negative mm -hmm. reaction. And then again, I did find it, um, and even some high-profile negative reaction, which we can talk about. But 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? Because like I, you're more in tune with like the Doctor Who announcements and and maybe saw more than I did. Did did you get a similar sense? Did you have different sense? What what are your thoughts? No, I think like basically similar to you. I think the the um, response has been pretty overwhelmingly positive um that you know the the video that they did broke some records for Mm. views in the first like 16 million views in the first like 24 hours or something crazy um and i mean that's what (laughs) moffat is in uh contention with whedon for who's better at putting their foot in their mouth but um (laughs) he's kind of getting dinged right now but what he what he was trying to say um is kind of if we can put words in Moffat's mouth if I can put words in Moffat's mouth (laughs) um is kind of slapping the press on the wrist for um stirring up or or acting like there's controversy where there kind of isn't yeah um and and it's hard to kind of I think if you really look it is hard to kind of deny that that's true that like yeah, the res- the the positive response does seem to pretty soundly outweigh, you know. I mean, again, how do you prove something like that? I can't go and take a poll of people's minds. It's just a kind of anecdotal, the sense that you get from the online reaction and stuff. Um, and it's it's funny. In the, um, uh, I have to find this article, He he kind of says, like, there's this false narrative of a backlash and everything. And it, you know, gives his quote, this is variety. And then in the next uh, paragraph, the variety writer says, Whittaker's casting was the target of misogynistic vitriol on social media. And it's like, okay, you're doing the thing that he's telling you not to do. Like now having said that, are there negative reactions? Yeah, there are. Sure. Um, should we be giving them all this attention acting like they are the majority? No, I don't think so. And it only don't feed the trolls, right? Just like it only encourages them. That's kind of, that Um, that was kind of my reaction. It's like, why, like, shouldn't you just be ignoring them? And like, like, wouldn't it be a stronger reaction to the reaction such as it is to just like completely ignore it and not like, like this is an instance where like, your mom's advice about bullies like should like be played into you know should be listened to like more than any other like just ignore mm-hmm. them. just ignore what they're saying and don't right you know right play into it right well and and i think um like you mentioned kind of going looking for criticism and like probably there's some of that of depending it is a self-selecting audience it depends on who you're connected to on social media like i think you and I, largely, I think the people we know that are, you know, Doctor Who people are a fairly open-minded bunch and are probably like equally, if not more so, weighted towards the new Who versus classic Who, you know, whereas I think you can find those corners, those message boards that cater towards a different crowd where, where you might have to like log into certain message boards that I'm not enough of a masochist to log into. And like, you're not even really going to see that on Twitter, but like, you know, 
if you're plugged in enough, you hear rumblings of things like that. But like, it's not like that's been this, it's certainly not been the overwhelming, you know, uh, sense that I've gotten from like social media and Twitter and everything. Um, right. You know, and, and, you know, like, and I know that there are people that I know that are concerned about the backlash to the backlash and the kind of bullying of people with different opinions of like what is apparently happening with Peter Davison, where like people are chasing him off Twitter as, you know, as, as both Moffat and Whedon were before him. So, you know, it's happens. It happens occasionally. Um, well, I will say as much as I, I like I kind Whedon, of, some of his Twitter comments deserve uh, getting him chased off of Twitter. Well, lately, even more so oh than God. the first time. Yeah. He's gotten a little, you yeah. know, a, a bit much. Uh, um, anyway, so that's a different but, topic. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So, but so, my point of that though being like, I'm not defending bullying Peter Davison. I'm not saying I'm wouldn't call having read Peter Davison's comments like I'm not just going to reactionary sort of call him a misogynist and say like, get out of here with your old dinosaur ways. Um, and I don't like, I'm not endorsing harassing him on Twitter or anything. Um, but it's not like this is the first time that fans who have been happy about a casting have targeted fans who are not. And <laughs> sure. Again, we're, that doesn't excuse or endorse it, but like, like excluding, I feel like excluding gender just as a right. different person playing the doctor. Right. And it may feel more contentious because it's gendered and there might be aspects of it that are thornier because of that. But like, like I was looking up like one of like a couple of my just to kind of refresh my memory of some of my blog posts about when Peter Capaldi was first Mm. um, cast, just trying to remember, okay, how did I feel about it? How did other people feel? And, you know, I found one quote of, you know, someone who was thrilled about his casting saying uh, the best thing about the new doctors, the annoying fangirl cesspool is finally gone. And it's like, Hmm. it's, this is unfortunately a part of this particular fandom and maybe something that is an unfortunate part of fan culture at large, you know, is the impulse to vilify people who have different opinions than you. Um, and just the idea of, for me, what's exciting about Jodie Whittaker is that I like the fact that they're all different from each other. The fact that you can go from Eccleston to Tennant to Smith to Capaldi, um, and then to Whittaker, who's, you know, I think exciting if only for the fact that it's something totally new, that it's taking it in what mm. feels like a fresh risky but in a good way kind of direction and just the idea that any one of those approaches is necessarily wrong um is kind of silly to me to me that's kind of the whole point of the endeavor is doing new things with the doctor um right and you know there are other arguments beyond that i'm not saying that answers all of the criticisms or whatever but like yeah there were people who celebrated Capaldi as the return 
to, you know, classic series principles, like Capaldi is what sure. the doctor should be. And Matt Smith was this awful pandering to the Twilight fan demographic, <laughs> you know. Sure. And, and at the same time, then, you know, there were people who, um, you know, thought, oh, well, nobody's going to watch Capaldi because he's old and the girls don't want to watch someone that's old. But, like, yeah, the ratings have gone down a bit. I mean, the show is 10 years old, but, like, I think the reception at Comic-Con shows how beloved Capaldi became by everybody. And, yeah. You know, well, it's and, not just a kind of like girls only like this, boys only like this, and we have to kind of like squabble over it. Like it just gets tiring. Like, come on, just like let give the person a chance, let them do what they're going to do, and then we can argue about whether it's good or not. You know. Um. So, I'll admit that one of the most annoying in the few cases of uh sort of the backlash or whatever you want to call it that that I have seen my my most annoying tweet that I've seen or or meme or whatever is the pink tardis which I'm sure you you saw <laughs> which like on the one hand is like again lack of imagination <laughs> right well that's the thing right it's like but also like when you like when you and, and I I realize like maybe the people who share this meme aren't like the most critical thinkers <laughs> around mm -hmm. but like when you analyze like what the actual argument here is it's like oh they're make they're basically making a statement about like is this a pro doctor, or anti pink tardis meme this is anti okay so this is like if this like is, this like, is oh, fear of what it's going to be oh great like there's a woman, so now this is the first thing she's gonna do is turn the TARDIS pink. And right, so this is like the like TARDIS full of bras so, thing that's going right, around. Right so now. so my my immediate thought was if you think about this like in any critical fashion, which again, I doubt these people who are, <laughs> you know, supporting this meme are, then right. basically your argument is that like you're you're ruining Doctor Who by, you know, making the Doctor a woman when you know, he should be a man, but like you're doing it by like making something that has literally never changed, which is the look of the TARDIS. And like, mm. like, don't you know that the chameleon circuit is stuck? It can't be pink. Like it, it's, it's more impossible for the TARDIS to be pink than for the doctor to be a woman. Like literally within the context of the show, there's at least like, they've at least like, gone quite a bit of way and like all the way back to at least day of the doctor in mm -hmm. in indicating that the doctor could be a woman right because it wait is it day of the doctor like wh where is it where where you get the regeneration from the eighth doctor into the war doctor is that day of the doctor or is that oh it's like the mini episode that goes right before it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Where she's like she, young or old, man or woman. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and there's, right. I mean, again, it's like, there's maybe a little special circumstance going on there because it's like, it's this potion that like lets you choose what your regeneration is. But, but mm -hmm. there's at least that, that right. the possibility, you know, possibility that yeah. it could be. Yeah. And apparently um, there's even like, 
reference like extra textual references you know even going back um it may have even been colin baker who who like back in the 80s was like whoever uh you know whoever my successor is whether you know he or she you know whatever like and and i think it was meant like humorously but like right. at least right like again like if you're taking that as sort of like all the possibilities of what the doctor could be like right. like we're not talking about just like oh haha ha, they turned the master into missy like there's actually quite a bit further back of a of a in in universe as far as there is any consistency in the doctor mm -hmm. who universe like like they've actually gone quite a ways to you know make that a part of the show that that the doctor could be mm -hmm. a woman and kind of have been hinting at that for like three mm -hmm. seasons now like right like Moffat's really been banging that drum right. um quite hard the last couple uh seasons i think and and so um yeah, like, um, wasn't there another reference to, like, I forget the character, who, whoever it was, but, like, the doctor made a reference of, I don't even remember which doctor it was who made the reference, of, like, oh, you know, he, but, you know, like, sometimes she, like, every now and then, like. Yeah, uh, um, uh, the Corsair. The Corsair, uh, yes, yes, Which yes. is, I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I think Neil Gaiman got like is the first one like in story in text to kind of make the reference and it's in the doctor's life right. where it's the 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 time lord has a certain tattoo that is always the same no yes. his yeah, regeneration yeah, yeah. and and it's you know he says something about you know makes a reference to sometimes it's she or whatever yeah um and then i think that was the first one and then ever since then the the references have become more and more, you know, uh, prominent yeah, and right. and frequent and everything and like yeah, I mean, and I, and and again, I feel like the same thing about, um, like why wouldn't you want Idris Elba in your movie? I feel like, right. um, uh, you know, uh, having seen not that I ha would have. I would have been on board with a female doctor before this, but if I needed any convincing Michelle Gomez as Missy, um, mm. you know, certainly sold me on, you know, not just like that this can be a doable thing, but that this can be an exciting thing that like, right. you know, I mean, she was like, I think like a revelation in that part and was, you know, is there only ever one person for a role? No, there's probably a dozen people who would have been really good as the master. But it's, I look at her and I'm like, I'm so glad that they cast her. She was brilliant, you know? Um, and that kind of, I feel like, won over so well that it's kind of hard to understand um, the objection. Yeah. Well, and that, that's again, um, like, you know, going back to like the pink heart thing like that's that's kind of why it just annoyed me so much it's because like like you're if you're making an argument about like staying true to the show like mm -hmm. you can't do that by like picking on something that like, like choosing an example that is like even less true to the show like that's not right. an argument that just right. it makes no sense right. uh, well and i've even seen that from 
people who are on board with the idea of like people who are kind of saying, I'm excited, like Jodie Whittaker, she's going to be good. I'm excited for this. And then they'll kind of start to hand ring and kind of say like, you know, like it's really going to be a bummer if all the storylines are about like, I don't know, her period and, you know, or like how she's treated by the men and they're all about like people like hitting on her and you know all these things and i'm just thinking like is that all you can come up with really like that's what you're worried about like yeah yeah, that would be terrible but do you think that's what it's gonna be i don't think that's what it's gonna be and i feel like even for the people who are on board with the idea if that's all you can think of when you think like female female actor actor playing the role like i i just feel like come on like we can do better than that right like surely and i'm not even the world's biggest chris chibnall fan but i feel pretty sure that the stories aren't all just going to be about centered around you know her feminine issues whatever that is like Mm. i think you know i'm sure it will be commented on because it how could it not be but i don't feel like that's going to be even a central point of the episodes i feel like these are going to be doctor who episodes that are about aliens taking over various planets and the doctor having to rescue them (laughs) i kind of feel like it's going to be what it's always been um with a new actor um so like even there like yeah some of the kind of you know Oh, the TARDIS has to be pink now. Like, it's just like, it, it, it just is a, a lack of, you know, creative thinking. If you think that's what it's going to be, that's just silly, I think. Yeah. Well, and like, but on the flip side, like there are opportunities there, I think, to explore. Like some of those things could be a decent story about like, I, well, one, the doctor got hit on when he was guy too. So like the doctor, this is a good point. The doctor always this is a good point. <laughs> getting hit on isn't necessarily like have anything to do with the yeah. what gender, you know, the doctor is. Um No, and I will be making that point when that when that argument comes up. Like, yeah, let's point out let's pull out the, you know, Eccleston and Tenon and Smith, you know, right. and even Capaldi episodes where like yeah, somebody fancies it. Right. So, but also like there are like so maybe maybe there's something to an episode of the doctor as a woman going back to Victorian England and mm-hmm. dealing with, you know, the misogyny of the court or, you know, whoever they run it, you know, whoever she runs into at that point like like maybe there's a decent story that can be had and that's part of the issue and maybe you there's even a medical metaphorical aspect to whatever monster is you know being considered like like i feel like even if even if those are the themes that are that are brought up like there's a way that that can be done where it's not exasperating but illuminating Mm -hmm. and liberating Mm -hmm. and you know all of that as well. Um, right. Right. Like, I think, um, 
Thin Ice was a really good example of something like that from this last season, um, mm. where they're kind of in Regency England, where, I, you know, it didn't feel to me um, preachy. It felt like, you know, they took Bill back to a time where, yeah, like the fact that she looked different was noticeable. Mm. But then, you know, and in some ways the episode was about the kind of, empirical aspects of England at that time but at the other on the other hand it was also uh, 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 like any other Doctor Who adventure it didn't you know it didn't derail into um you know a kind of I don't know sermon um or the the sermoning was more to the sermonizing was more subtle than that like there are artful ways to do these sorts of things Mm. um you know, and I just feel like for the people who aren't spouting vitriol, but who are concerned maybe about if this is the right move or not, I just would kind of, I want to ask people to just give it a chance. Like, it seems like even from the people who are kind of on the fence, there's just some worry about how it will go. And it's just, how can you say before they've even filmed anything? Like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to criticize the show for failing at something it hasn't even attempted yet. Right. Um, And I don't even think that failing means that it's not worth the endeavor. Sure. Um, You know, and again, if criticisms roll in with Jodie Whittaker's first episode or first season, I will remind people that there were plenty of criticisms about the other actors when they first started. Um, You know, like everybody's first episode isn't often the best and the first season often involves a lot of settling in and figuring things out and it often takes time and you don't kind of say well because maybe Peter Capaldi's characterization wasn't quite right in his first series that that means that like his type of an actor is a failed experiment sure you don't conclude that. Right. You don't say like, well, we're never going to cast a 50-year-old again. Like, no, that would be silly. And um, and that's a good point because like, like I, you can almost guarantee, right, that there's going to be people who are like, oh, well, Jodie Whittaker isn't perfect and therefore that's what you get like for casting a woman. And, I told you so. And, yeah. but yeah, like, like it, she probably, unfortunately, is going to get sort of judged harsh more harshly than other other actors who you know have played the doctor you know who maybe Mm -hmm. people might be more willing to forgive or or to give time to sort of find their feet or or whatever in the role Mm -hmm. um so i mean right it'll be yeah i mean you know academically speaking it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but also could be very frustrating i'm sure Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where um, some people I know that I'm, you know, may agree or disagree with their takes on this, where one area I do agree is that they're like it or not, there probably is a smaller margin for error for her Mm. because of that. Um, You know, and I think some people are worried, like, if it's not perfect, is this going to be a like one step forward, two steps back situation of hurting. But again, does that mean you don't do it? 
like that feels a little, you know, cowardly to me to say, well, because we might get criticized, because it might fail, therefore we don't do it. Um, I don't know. It feels braver to me to just say, well, we're going to go for it. And, you know, hopefully um, they're up to the task and they can, you know, you know, I don't know, hit the zeitgeist in the right way, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be great if like it, you know, if she does a awesome job and, and people shut up and they're just like, oh, well, okay then. I mean, I don't expect, like, I expect there's always going to be complainers, but you know what I mean? Like, if at least, sure. if, if at least, like, she does well enough that, like, some people are like, you know what, I was skeptical, but this is, mm-hmm. this is really good. And Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I don't, I don't expect to, her to win over, you know, whatever minority there is of, like, really hardcore, um, you know, people against it, um, I don't think that's who her doctor will be for. Yeah. Let's put it that way. But um, but for the people who are maybe nervous or skeptical or on the fence or feeling like this could hurt the show, mm-hmm. hopefully that there will be some open minds that, you know, she might be able to change, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, and you, you brought up, you brought up Le Guin earlier. I was thinking about, um, the left hand of darkness in relation to this of like, Hmm. you know, like to what extent is this sort of ground that she broke, you know, 30 or 40 years ago in kind of like dealing with these sorts of, you know, gender in sci-fi and, and alien races that don't follow our rules. Um, It had kind of a similar feel to me of like, you know, like yeah. just this is an interesting avenue for the story to pursue, I think. Well, and and I would even go back maybe even a little further. Well, actually, I don't know. When, when was Left Hand of Darkness again? Maybe it's right about the same time. I don't know. Um, 70-something? Yeah, you know, uh, in, in thinking about sexuality and, uh, uh, you know, orientation, um, you know, looking at something like Heinlein's, uh, 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 shoot, what's, what's the name of the novel now? I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, the one where he, he does the brain swap, uh, not time enough for love. It's, uh, is it by his bootstraps? No, no, no. That one? No. No. Um, hold on. I'll, I'll get it here in a second. Man, this is ticking me off. Uh, you know Heinlein better than me, so I'll let you do that. Yeah, sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, just talking about, like, you know, sort of breaking, um, I will fear no evil. Man, that was bugging me. Uh, I will fear no evil. So I, the premise being, um, old old guy uh has his brain put into someone else's body and it, it turns out it's a woman's body and and so he basically you know basically transgender you know mm-hmm. uh 
story here that today, I mean, I, I criticized it because you, you can go read my uh, review of it. Looking back on it, there are a lot of issues with that sort of, you know, man's mind and a woman's body and, and kind of the stereotypes. But like looking at the reviews of it at the time, I mean, it was actually praised by a lot of, um, you know, lesbian and gay uh, reviewers and, and which, you know, in the 70s, well, it was written in 1969 and it was published in uh, 1970, serialized and then published as a full novel after that. And, um, you know, a lot of people sort of praised it at the time. And, and like looking back on it, it's like, man, how can, you know, thinking about sort of the where you know, we're at now with, you know, gay marriage and, and so much more representation than ever would have been at that point in time. Like to have a popular, you know, science fiction author, uh, you know, writing about this stuff, they, they really enjoyed it. And, and so it's just kind of like that, you know, another example of that thing of like, there's, there's a different take on how you can look at it today and that doesn't mean it didn't mm -hmm. have problems back then. It did, but but it was just such a rare thing for that sort of representation mm -hmm. to be done, you know, in such a popular way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so so similar to like what you were saying about Left Hand of Darkness, like there's a lot of, and, and actually there's, you know, sexuality and stuff in there too, not just gender. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so... Yeah, no, I, I, that's also agree with what you were saying, but just kind of, I have to throw in Heimann, because it's Heimann. Sure. Um, um, well, and that's, you know, I think, while I do agree that she maybe will have that, that higher level of scrutiny and a lower, a smaller margin of error, I think that's something that, like, people can try to consciously hold back on of like not sure. having an expectation like like you can look back at that Highline story and say here's the ways in which it was good and here's the ways in which it didn't work and you know like I don't think I think we're gonna set ourselves up for failure if we expect Jodie Whittaker's tenure to be perfect right because no Doctor Who season has ever been or will ever be perfect. Right. And anyway, or, or what does any perfect, show anywhere, or any show ever, <laughs> right. or any story, right. you know, anything made by human people. And anyway, what does perfect mean? Because my perfect is not your perfect. Like the things sure. I want to see. Like this is the other thing too, which frustrates me somewhat at the kind of charges of the writers pandering to people. And I kind of feel like you're always pandering to someone a little bit because you're never going to please everybody. You're always going with someone's version of what they think is the right thing to do for the story. Sure. Um, you know, Capaldi pandered to a certain kind of classic who we want like a, you know, Hartnell Pertwee throwback. And that was what he evoked. Um, you know, Tennant pandered to what 
people wanted at the time of, you know, kind of young romantic lead to go kind of running off with Rose. Um, and I like those castings. Like, I don't necessarily, like, I'm not saying they were bad decisions. I think they were good decisions that like, I think, you know, like, do people want a female doctor? Sure. But some people don't. So you're always going to be kind of disappointing somebody, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, um, the one other thing I was just thinking too is like how, how it'll be interesting to see how much blame is placed on the actor versus the writers too. Because like, I mean, sure. sometimes you just can't outact a bad story, right? Like, right. You, you know, if a, if a story is bad, you know, no matter how good the actor acts, like mm -hmm. they're, they're not going to be able to say lines that are just weird and clunky any better than... Mm -hmm. You know they already so how much of that is going to be you know uh put onto to jody's you know mm -hmm. uh or or whitaker's i guess i should say uh you know shoulders then as opposed to you know where with like capaldi or something you might say well capaldi is a really good actor so it must be like the writer's fault <laughs> like mm, if it's right. if it's you know a bad story or something or you know right right um, right well and i think people who are on board with her have to allow room for criticism like sure it, the reaction to everything can't be like if a story's weak uh you're just a misogynist like no like if we're treating her like anybody else right that means you treat her like anybody else and it means there's gonna be there are gonna be things that don't work and that's part of what making tv is and that's okay and it doesn't mean that you can't say um that well this you know this wasn't the strongest or this was a problem or this could have been done differently or whatever i think when it becomes an issue is when you conclude from that um take it more to be just what did Jodie Whittaker do and make it more about does she has to stand in for her entire gender. Yeah. Um, right. You know, fail or succeed. She's kind of this, you know, whatever she does means that womankind has either failed or succeeded at something. Mm. Um, and that's when you like get into like tokenism of like, you know, okay, this one person has to bear the weight of all of that. Um, yeah. But I think it's, like, a thing that people can be conscious of and try to, you know, refrain from doing. Not that they'll always succeed, but... Sure. I'm certainly going to try to, like... I mean, I'm sure I'll have criticisms. I always do. Of, like, oh, I didn't like that story or, you know, whatever. Um... So try not to be just reflexively sort of defensive if anybody has yeah. a critique, well, and, which might be valid. And I was even thinking the other way of being overly, you know, maybe uh, overly critical of her as an actor when the story itself is bad. Mm. Sure. And that will kind of, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, I, 
this is purely me. Like, I don't think this is true for other people and especially like not in the UK, but it's weird that I feel like of all of them, I feel like in some ways I know her best before I see her Doctor Who. Hmm. Then, like, I think Eccleston I'd seen in a couple movies, but didn't necessarily realize that that was him. Like, it was right. only later that I went back and was like, oh, he was in 20 Days Later or whatever. Um, oh, okay. Sure. Uh, that, like, so maybe I'd seen him, but, like, didn't have a real perception of what he was like. Right. Um Tennant, Harry Potter, that was the only, he's like in it for like two scenes. It's the only thing right. I knew him from. Um, Smith, nothing. Never saw a thing before his doctor. And Capaldi, maybe, I think I'd seen the thick of it. Um, or not even the whole show. Like, just like the movie they made. Mm. Um, and that was it. So like, I mean, having Jodie Whittaker, having done Broadchurch, I feel like, no, I've actually like, spent time with her as an actor and in some ways like i feel like i know her best yeah which is weird because i still feel like i have no idea what she'll what be to like expect. yeah yeah sure. which is the most exciting thing to not feel like oh i know what this is going to be and it'll be kind of predictable and expected and everything um like at least it's not sort of a household name that you know exactly what you're going to get before they even do anything. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than Broadchurch, which I've also seen. And so I guess I'm kind of in that same boat, although I hadn't really thought about it that way. Um, what, what else has she been in? Um, she's been in some movies. I mean, she's mostly, I think only worked in the UK. So it kind of, if you're, if you're American, you probably have to seek out the things she's done. Cause I don't know that they're that well known over here other than, yeah. I mean, I'm sure Broadchurch is the biggest thing. She's done some theater, which is a good sign. Like mm. I, the, the casting of the theater actors never or very rarely goes wrong. I think like Pearl Mackey's a great Testament to that this past season. Um, and I, the one I really want to see is with her and John Boyega, actually. So there's this movie called um, Attack the Block, which was like an indie sci-fi. Oh, I, I saw movie. that. <laughs> I never saw that. So I, you know, I, I didn't really realize that this. was her. Okay. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd have to go back and rewatch to notice that it's her, but okay. Right. That was, and that was a did... corny movie, but... Anyway. Sure. Well, I, it's it's on my list. Um, and she did one episode of Black Mirror. Um, oh, okay. So so she's up and coming. She's not like, again, not like a household. Right, name. right, right, right. I mean, again, Broadchurch, I'm sure, is the most attention she's got. But um, enough that she's worked, but not enough that I think people have any sort of like pop culture preconceived notions about She's not like typecast in things yet. Um, so I think that gives her a lot of freedom. Sure. Sure. Um, all right. So, I mean, I don't know. Uh, 
we've talked a lot about Doctor Who and and gender stuff. I mean, I don't know. Did did you want to go back at all talk about Buffy and gender stuff? I mean, I I feel like that's sort of the Buffy thing, and we've probably talked a lot about it even just in mm-hmm. our own discussions. Um, you know, I think it gets. I think Whedon gets criticized a lot for. You know, he claims to be a feminist, and but a lot of people have, um, like in particular with like uh, the the recent um, Wonder Woman movie. You know, the mm. the script. Oh right, his script. The, the script that he wrote right. years ago, right. like more than ten years ago, um, right. was purportedly released online. Now I don't. I mean, I say purportedly just because, like, like. It's a, I I don't know. I mean, it certainly could be his script. He hasn't come out and acknowledged that it was. And like, unless you're getting it from like reliable source, like who knows? Like maybe this is just someone making things up. But anyway, a, a lot of analysis from like the Mary Sue and and other mm-hmm. you know websites like that have you know gone to town on him for some of the problematic stuff and when whenever they do whenever sites like that do that Mm -hmm. um they always bring up xander Mm -hmm. and and so this also there was also a sort of i almost said private but it was on facebook so i don't know that it was really private but a discussion among a few other people on facebook that i had about sort of the you know problematic xander and like gender issues and buffy Mm -hmm. and so i want to be careful because there's there's sort of the uh towing towing the line uh or or, or walking the line aspect to it that you kind of talked about way back at the beginning of this episode here that we're talking about but i kind of feel like whenever people bring up Xander and sort of the things that he does, and it's not to say that uh, the things that he does are necessarily always laudable or shouldn't be criticized, but I kind of feel like one, they always like make him the stand in for Joss Whedon, which fair enough. He has at times compared himself to Xander, Mm -hmm. but also that they tend to not like, that there tends to be a an assumption that by making a character do a thing, the author or director or whoever is, you know, sanctioning the thing, whatever right. it is. And I just like that's a very that's a very hard uh, right. for me to swallow kind of thing because if that's the case. Like, and, and I get, like, people like to do sort of the Freudian psychoanalysis and, like, in a way, like, yes, you right. know, you're what writing. What does this reveal about you, you, the psyche? Yeah, the, the, the things that yeah. a person writes, you know, says more about them than anyone else and all that kind of stuff. But, like, right. but but if you have a writer that's doing that, then that's true of every character. So, like, why don't right. people also say, well... Buffy is also like Joss Whedon, right. but they don't. 
and and so i i just have to wonder like like how like why is it that xander is like always compared to like whedon and it's always like the worst parts of xander right. that, you know like his i mean there are times when he has this sort of nice guy and i say that with like the the you know quotes yeah. and, and a trademark symbol after it right like the nice guy syndrome of you know like thinking back to like early season one where like he asked Buffy out and then reacts badly when she says no and like that like it's a bad reaction he doesn't like he says like oh i was it uh oh, I guess I got to be dead to make time with you or something like that. Like something really sarcastic and mean and, and like not, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a good guy, you know, who just wants to be your friend. Not reflective of his best and, self. And, and my response to that is, okay, like you're right. Like that's not a good look on Xander. But one, you know, he's a high school student who was just rejected by his crush. So like maybe maybe it's realistic to think that people aren't always going to react in the best way in that situation. But also that, that thing of like, yeah, like why, why are we to assume that like Joss Whedon is saying that's an okay to react way to react. Like, like Buffy kind of looks at him like, what are you doing? And then like he gets chided and like, if you remember that episode, he then goes and like asks Willow, to go to like the prom or whatever or homecoming and it and willow's like no i'm not gonna go with you because like you just got rejected and are feeling bad like like okay maybe xander doesn't get slapped down in that moment which i feel like some people think that he should <laughs> but he does get rejected like he you know willow who is very much into xander at that point rejects him and like <laughs> he doesn't get rewarded for like the way he's acting so so it's things like that. And that's just sort of one example where I feel like sometimes maybe there's a little uh, too much Xander hate going on. Mm. Um, but I also want to be honest and, and be like, you know, there are times where maybe Xander says or does things. And and so another like area where um, there's a lot of criticism is, is in the relationship that he has with Cordelia and Anya and, the relationships, I should say. And and he is very sarcastic and sometimes mean. And, and there's a lot of people who feel like his entire relationship with Anya is just him telling her how to act and how to be human. And that, again, my sort of defense would be, well, but that's acknowledged, right? Like, that's that's acknowledged in, like, once more with feeling. And as sort of, like, a reason for they're breaking up is that like or actually it's um isn't it even how uh halfrick who like brings up like this mm -hmm. sort of like outsider's opinion of like oh so he tells you what to do and you know whatever and anya's like no no it's not like that and and you're not sure right. whether but to, then she has to like think about yeah, it. You're, yeah you're not sure whether like to actually believe anya in that moment and of course then other things happen and so so like again like i feel like like there's the criticism of the character, which I think is completely valid. But then there's like the criticism of like the author as like not a real feminist or whatever. Even though there's like like those sorts of like acknowledgments are made like in the show. And so like like does that mm -hmm. like does that make it okay? Or does it like sort of dissolve some of that criticism and say like, well, 
if they like if they're clearly aware of it and they're kind of acknowledging it in the show then then can't you take that as maybe uh you know pointing out that like these are not okay ways to act or that maybe there's better you know uh more of a of a of a enlightened way to respond to some of that i don't know i i guess i'm not entirely sure what i'm trying to say there but um i don't know just wanted to sort of bring some of that up and and get your thoughts on um yeah. not just xander because like this is a show about diversity we don't have to just talk about the guy but um <laughs> i do feel like right. in in discussions of feminism and and buffy it often leads to discussions about xander and and right. to joss whedon not being a true feminist because of a lot of the portrayals of Xander and, and sort of the ways that he acts. Right. Um, no. And I do want to talk about Whedon and Xander, but it reminds me very strongly of, of Moffat, the, the way his kind of perception is um, among fandom. And, and I wonder if it's like, is it a certain kind of smart clever writer that brings this out of people that wants to kind of like knock them down a peg or something because like there's a similar kind of like personality thing there and it's it's so similar with like again not that Moffat doesn't have aspects of his writing that you can critique but it goes it, it's a very similar way in that he's kind of it seems to me attributed with only his failings and not his successes as a writer, you know, mm -hmm. like, so if there's something you didn't like Moffat's to blame, but he's not responsible for the things that you did like, you know, that just is sort of born, you know, yeah. out of the ether, you yeah. know, or, or even from... accidental somehow. Right. Like... No, I, I literally saw somebody say like, I can't remember what episode it was about. If, if it was about a particular episode or just the arc of the season or whatever it was of like, like maybe it was the way Bill's story ended or it was the ending of a particular episode or whatever it was. And like literally what somebody said was like, leave it to Moffat to screw up a really good Doctor Who story. It's like, who do you think wrote the Doctor Who story? Like, right. I'm sorry you didn't like the ending and maybe there are va valid critiques, but he doesn't only get the blame for what didn't work. And right. you just kind of pretend that he didn't also create the character and design the season and write the episode. Like, come on, you have to kind of not, like you said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. here because it only undermines your criticism. It doesn't strengthen it. If you're not going to critique in a thoughtful way, how can you kind of take it seriously? Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is something similar of like, does Xander represent aspects of Whedon and maybe a disproportionate number compared to other people? Maybe, but yeah, isn't that true of, you know, all of his characters that, you know, he's not just not using Xander as the mouthpiece of all of his, you know, thoughts and putting Xander up on this pedestal of what he says is sort of gospel truth. Like, no, Xander is shown to be, fallible he's critiqued and then you know there's all these other characters who represent 
so many different viewpoints that he also created and who are speaking words that he wrote. Um, Moffat got the same thing again with, I, I saw a criticism of like the, the master's misogyny towards Bill is the mouthpiece of the author there. Like that's Moffat's right. misogyny coming in. And it's like, you think he's saying that the, what the master's saying is right? Right. Like, right. Uh, uh, well, and that's what so that gets me too. It's is, a very similar kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and yeah, that like that gets me too. Is especially like I think even even more now that you mention it, like like where it's like the villains, you know, somehow become like you right. know what what the right. the secret id of the author, right? Yeah, yeah like yeah. what the author is actually trying to say, and it's like, well, wait a minute, no, like. Like, they're literally the villains who are, like, being defeated. Right. Right. Well, and, right, they're put, they're set up to sort of fail and to be shown how they're wrong. But also, like, even if you grant that, like, you tap into some sort of dark part of yourself when you're writing, but then I think you equally tap into your noble aspects as well of maybe certain, maybe horrible things that people say do come from some place inside yourself. But then I think the the great lines that we quote and kind of hold up as these, you know, um, kind of life-affirming lessons that, you know, the characters say, he wrote those too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not always going to live up to, the, to that standard. But I think it's in there. It's coming from somewhere. Um, you know. And are there, does that mean everybody gets a free pass? No. But like, you look at the body of writing that they've done, and I think you, you know, you kind of look at the um, ratio of successes to failures. And I don't think you can, again, you can't expect perfection um, to say that like, you know, uh, this storyline didn't come across the right way or this character didn't behave, you know, not even nobly, maybe they didn't behave in character, something that's like a, a writing failure. Mm. Um, that's just going to happen again, because these are things made by human people. Sure. Um, but yeah, like, um, yeah, I, I find it hard to understand how you kind of, only blame Whedon for the bits of Xander that you don't like and don't also give him credit for creating Buffy, creating Willow, you know, all of them, you know, good and bad. And this is always my thing with like, whether it's like the strong female character or whatever it is, it's like who, okay, you don't, some people don't like Xander. Xander's not always the most likable. Mm -hmm. But who wants characters that don't make mistakes? I don't. Sure. You know? Um, Male or female. You know? Like, I'm not, like, it's not a morality play. Like, it's, you know, it's it's a soapy, in a good way, you know, like adventure show. And I want that kind of uh, complicated aspect in the characters too. 
not just battling like the metaphor of the week, but also have the characters change and grow and fail and everything. I mean, we're just talking about Game of Thrones and how I really liked the spoiler alert twist with Theon at the end of the last episode. I won't say what the twist is, mm. but it's not Theon's most shining moment. <laughs> but like, <laughs> sure, I I kind of loved it. Like as a as a as a direction to take the story, mm. I found it really compelling and really interesting. Um, and I don't think the story is necessarily always served if the characters always do the right thing any more than it is if they're always like doing the wrong thing either. Um, sure. Yeah. And I've never felt like, I've never felt like Xander is put up on. I mean, if he's put on a pedestal, it's as that kind of like mundane, like the person without a special magical skill. Um, sure like kind of that's the kind of ordinary person that we sort of maybe maybe he gets brownie points for that but like I don't feel like that's an aspect of his gender I feel like whenever he acts in a less than perfect way in terms of his relationships with the other characters it's usually criticized in the show. Like people pretty well, much call it, him out on it. So, so this um, is, yeah, this is another thing that comes up because a lot of people think that he doesn't get like, have any consequence to like his, uh, you know, nice guyness or whatever. And I'm like, he's kind of constantly getting chewed out, not chewed out, but like, People, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I guess maybe, like I said, like, I think a lot of people, there's a certain type of person who is a feminist and wants Xander to just have the shit kicked out of him. And I think sure. some of the criticism comes from the fact that he doesn't have that shit kicked out of him by someone like Buffy. Now, he gets... <laughs> the crap kicked out of them frequently when they're out like hunting vampires and stuff because he's terrible mm -hmm. at fighting and all of that right but like you know like there i i think there's a certain number of viewers who who want xander to just be you know constantly punished for the stupid things that he says and like mm -hmm. i can understand it to a certain extent i mean i've had people say stupid things to me and wanted to punch them too but like there's also like isn't there an interpretation where you could say like the fact that like Buffy and Willow don't act that way towards like the stu and Anya and, and whoever else you know towards the stupid and, and sometimes sexist or whatever things that Xander say like isn't that a testament to like you don't have to like respond to stupidity with like violence like like maybe there's actually something to be said about like it's a better response to have you know a woman say you know what i'm gonna forgive you for being stupid than to punch you you know which is maybe more mm -hmm. typically a guy thing just speaking mm -hmm. gender stereotypes here you know what i mean like 
like maybe there's something to be said about like hey it's an entirely appropriate way to react to say you know what you're dumb and i'm not gonna listen to what you're saying <laughs> because that's like mm -hmm. kind of like we were saying at the beginning of our discussion about you know the doctor who twitter people like are are you giving them too much attention by reacting strongly you know instead of just saying like like really like okay whatever and just moving right on. right um but i but i do like i feel like you do like xander does actually get called out a fair amount uh when he's stupid and sometimes he even realizes it on his own but that's also kind of his character is that like he's not the thinker he's he feels a thing and like reacts to it <laughs> like mm -hmm. maybe that's not a good thing but again like there's a difference between like saying that's his character and saying that it's a good thing like right so anyway um yeah yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the right answer is there. Like, I mean, is there room for a more overt confrontation about his behavior? Maybe. Does that mean that everything would be fixed if Buffy just, like, beat the crap out of him? I don't necessarily think so. Like, well, <laughs> you know, like, is, I don't know what the right happy medium is there. Um, but, you know. Like, I don't think that it's true that he's simply not called out on it at all, um, you know, or that it's it's left as either lauded or even uncommented on, you know. Um, so does it confront it to the extent that some people would like? Maybe not. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, um, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of at our two hour mark and I was actually, I'm actually kind of surprised because I didn't know if we were going to talk the full time here. Um, were there any, I mean, we didn't talk a ton about um, sexuality and, and LGBT issues. Um, I mean, we brought it up a little bit. Any any other thoughts on there? Do do we want to get into that a little bit or or? I mean, I think I don't think so. I think we got to two hours, and that's probably <laughs> that's probably enough. I mean, we've solved all of the issues related to the, diversity in these two hours. Yeah, if we if we start on the next one, we'll have to stay until we finish it um, and solve it to you know to the extent that it deserves. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's something we've talked about and probably continue to talk about, like, you know, um, certainly with Willow and Tara. Um, and then when we get back to, uh, to Doctor Who, we'll have, um, have Bill coming up. So, um, I think there will be some more opportunities to sure. talk about how she's characterized, um, you know. Yeah. Especially, um, like, maybe in the season recap, since yeah, that'll yeah. cover, you know, kind of her full arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, even as we're talking about the episodes, 
when we get to it. Yes. All right. Well, with that in mind, then I guess we can. Uh, we'll we'll be back next week with our you know usual. Uh, I don't even remember which episode it'll be, but whatever our next episode is, <laughs> we'll be back talking. We'll about. We'll be back with it. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. All right. Sounds good. See you then. Uh, psych. We're, we're back. <laughs> um, so yeah, actually, so we finished recording, um, the main part of the episode a couple of weeks ago. And in that time, uh, since then, uh, we've had, uh, a, blog post or, or news article. I'm not sure, I'm never, I'm not sure quite what to call it. Um, but at the rap.com from, uh, Kai Cole, who, uh, was, uh, Joss Whedon's wife, um, or he, he was her husband, maybe, uh, should say it that way, but, um, Damn apparently, apparently, uh, they're exes now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and apparently have been for some time. I didn't realize mm-hmm. this, but just sort of in, um, came out a few months ago but i didn't catch up onto it um but apparently they split like five years ago oh wow yeah i didn't know that either have kept um that part of it sort of out of the media and then i guess that broke like a few months ago around may and then now we have this article from kai cole Mm -hmm. uh basically saying um right in the headline uh joss whedon is not the feminist everyone thinks he is and that he claims to be Mm -hmm. um well, I shouldn't say that everyone thinks he is, because there are definitely a number of people who uh, were sort of saying this even before her, mm-hmm. uh, you know, message. But but really kind of providing some incriminating evidence um, from letters that he wrote to her or, or emails or whatever. Um, I don't know. Like, so I, I've been divorced. Um, mine was actually fairly amicable. I mean, you know it was still difficult and mm. stuff, but not certainly not like what you hear of some of the horror stories out there. Um, it sounds like there was some pretty bad stuff going on here. So it's hard to say like, like maybe if this was yeah. just like emails between them or if it was in more like official documentation or whatever, where, where it was came from. I think, I think it said it was like in, in letters to her and, and it sounded sort of like mm-hmm. c- confessionary, you know, like, Right. Here's why right. all of this stuff happened. But but basically Right. Um, it's cert- it certainly comes across that way rather than like a, a, a anything sort of business like or right. or legal or something. Right. It it didn't seem like a legal thing. But basically, yeah, confessing to um the fact that he had had quite a few affairs going back as far at least as far as Buffy, possibly before then. I don't I'm not actually sure when they actually got married. Um, maybe like mid or early nineties or something. I, I think um, I think it said either there or someone else somewhere else. I think they were together for four or five years, and then maybe like right before Buffy started, they got married. So like maybe like okay. like ninety six or so, thereabouts or something. But they've been together for something like four years before that. Um, right. So even at that point, still a long term relationship. Like not. Yes. You yeah. know, it's certainly not like. I mean, not that this is good either, but it's not like he had an affair, you know, five months into their relationship or something. Right, right. But but also that, like, it was continued, sustained, like, that there were that there were many of them. Right. So, I mean, the jaded part of me, of course, is like, mm-hmm. well, this is Hollywood. 
right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody sleeps with everyone. So like Mm -hmm. there's kind of, it's kind of not surprising. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, like that's that's dismissive. I don't, I don't. Right. Right. I, I don't it want to be the rare like, I mean, Hollywood couple that kind of stays together for 30 years or whatever. You know, you find them occasionally, sure. but they're that rare exception to the rule rather than it's certainly a culture and of, you know, who, yeah. who knows even within those relationships, maybe there have been affairs and stuff, but they've managed to work through sure. them. Like it doesn't even necessarily mean mm-hmm. that, that there weren't, you know, whatever. Um, the big, the big thing here, though, I think, which is one of the, maybe not shocking, but maybe the more sensationalistic aspects of it, is, you know, Joss Whedon has considered himself a feminist for so long. And not just considered himself, but, like, been outspoken, you know, calling himself mm-hmm. a feminist. A lot of people have given him credit as a feminist. And, and basically, Ty Cole, you know, says, no, he's not the feminist, you think. And here's why. Um, a lot of it is, you know, personal, and and she relates sort of in his treatment of her um, with lying and deceit and and these affairs, and it's not even so. Um, one of the more interesting bits of commentary, and this is like just breaking like over the weekend, like this is like two days like since this yeah um, post that she wrote went up. So like, there's still a lot of sort of reactions like happening in and right, right, right. With, we're recording this the um, Monday after this news broke. So maybe right. there's more stuff to come out that we don't even know about yet. But um, yeah, you know, but I mean, there's been a number of reactions, you know, one of the things that made me kind of go, hmm, okay, is, is that, you know, I mean, hey, you know, people have different types of marriages, and, you know, whatever, but you know, it's the lying, it's the mm-hmm. deceit about it, that's really mm-hmm what she focuses on, like not even, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, had she known about them, like, I'm not saying she would have liked them necessarily. I don't, I don't know her. I can't right. speak for her at all, but like, right. but she you know, might've, it, she, she might've she really known focused, and chosen to leave or something. Right. And that's, that's what she says is that like, it, it sort of robbed her of the ability to make that decision for herself, you know, right. based on his actions. Like if he had, yeah, maybe she would have left if he had said, hey, I really want to sleep with, you know, so-and-so, would you let me? And she would have said, no. And then she could have made that decision and left and whatever. Or or she could have maybe said, all right, well, this one time, go ahead, do it. And, you know, thank you for t- letting me know. And we're cool. Like, you know, whatever whatever her reaction would have been, you know, one of those mm-hmm. or somewhere in the middle or whatever, like, at least it would have been made together as partners and not, you know, with the lying and deceit and all that. And and that seems to be, you know, a lot of what she's saying is that, you know, his, his personal actions right. don't hold up. Um, another aspect of it, of course, um, that has sort of been brought up is um, a lot of the, again, quoting sort of from his, uh, you know, emails or messages or letters or whatever they were, um, that these were sort of young women who he worked with on set um, and Mm -hmm. fans. And um, basically, you know, the idea of of that there's a power dynamic there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as the executive producer, he's basically the boss and, you know, they're employees as actresses and, and, 
you know, other, I, you know, I, maybe there were like crew or staff or whatever, you know, there's no names named. So, you know, we don't really actually know who these people are, but, you know, there's certainly, he, he talks about the, you know, feeling like he's sort of a God and has these like young women who are kind of looking for direction and help, you know, under him. And he offers that. Um, and it talks about both, you know, physical and emotional affairs. So it's not even necessarily just having sex, but, you know, that there was emotional stuff going on there and, and that he was praying, I guess, on that, you know, dynamic that he had. Um, so that, you know, which, I mean, if you think about a lot of the stuff we've talked about in Buffy, um, a little bit less in Angel, but in, in other shows as well that we've covered, um, it's that very sort of patriarchal dynamic that seems to be what's being, you know, chastised or uh, criticized or or whatever in these shows that he was sort of actively participating in, in perpetuating that right. in real life. And so, you know, there's, you know, that's obviously sort of problematic um, there. I've I've mm -hmm. talked a lot and we 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 said we weren't going to like go too long on this but um <laughs> I just wanted to sort of introduce that what what are your thoughts thoughts though Kat? I don't want to be I don't want to like take up all the time on feminism and no. not talk to the <laughs> of the duo here. <laughs> um I mean I think though I think I agree those are the, the the key points and not to downplay just the fact of infidelity but you are right that you know that on its own isn't necessarily shocking or unusual in a kind of Hollywood context. Um, and, and that what kind of makes it more uh, disturbing, I think you're right, are the ways in which um, it goes against this sort of Joss Whedon brand of, you know, um, of guy who, who writes well for women and writes with women in mind and, and goes seemingly tries to go out of his way to, uh, do right by that. Um, so yeah, the, the deceit that takes away, uh, agency from his wife is, is tough. Um, and I mean, the other thing that kind of bothered me too is, and I don't even know, to what extent he was conscious of this at the time, like maybe this is a realization he kind of had afterwards, but the way in which she, she makes it sound as though the, um, his feminism was used as like a shield kind of from any mm -hmm. suspicion that like things like, Oh, well I have lots of female friends because I was raised that way, you know? And then, and so things that might have felt a little uncomfortable, become okay because well she kind of would just think that's the kind of guy he is and that that would kind of become both for his family and for like the fans and everything that becomes this kind of bulletproof shield to avoid suspicion and I don't know whether he constructed that intentionally or whether that was just maybe he had these contradictory like I part of me feels like he kind of really does believe in what he's saying and yet had 
like, I don't think he's necessarily lying about his feminist beliefs, but at the same time is able to hold the contradictory behavior that acts against those beliefs and maybe doesn't realize the extent to which what he's preaching is not, is kind of shielding him from critique of the way he's actually conducting himself like in life. Um, you know, whereas like if he'd been somebody else, maybe the wife would have suspected something or caught on more, more quickly. Like if, if, but it, it almost seems as though his kind of feminist thing deflected any suspicion off of that. And so it ends up becoming in retrospect, even kind of ickier that like, you know, that kind of became his get out of jail free card in a way. Um, you know, and to what extent, again, he did that knowingly or or whether that just sort of happened and it's only now that he's coming to that realization. Um, I mean, only he knows. So uh, yeah. there's not, you know, but, but I think maybe there's a lesson there for the rest of us of, you know, just because somebody seems woke um, doesn't mean that they are perfect. And in a way, I think maybe the moral is don't get too complacent in your, what you think of as your kind of enlightened views of things that like mm -hmm. you can totally behave in ways that are hypocritical to those values. Um, and in fact, you might not be as self-critical if you're kind of convinced of your own, you know, enlightenment and your own progressiveness or whatever. Um, sure. You know, I think that's a lesson for all kinds of people. I mean, I've seen comments to the effect of like, oh, how common this is with like guys who proclaim themselves feminists and that's always like a red flag and whatever. And maybe that's, maybe that's true. Maybe that's the kind of thing that happens when you have a guy that kind of thinks he has it figured out and doesn't realize the ways that he's contradicting that. But probably it's true for women too, that like, you know, we we like to think of ourselves as knowing everything and yeah. having the right answers. And I think if you get kind of comfy with that, you can suddenly, you know, find yourself not being very thoughtful and critical of your own actions and opinions and everything. Sure. You know, I, I was just sort of thinking as you were talking about that, um, you know, the, the whole idea of like, the guys who like call themselves like, like, is that itself a red flag? Which is kind of interesting because I feel like there is a call for more people in general, but like guys also specifically to identify as feminists on the one hand, mm -hmm. you know, to sort of mm -hmm. take away whatever stigma is perceived by at least some people, but some men and women. Mm -hmm about the word feminism, um, that mm -hmm. it means something nasty or whatever. But then on the same token, it, it's like, it seems like there is a fine line of like, you know, I, it's not quite the protest too much because it's like the opposite. It's like the proclaim too much, you know, aspect mm. of it where, right. you know, when, when you get to that point of like, I'm a feminist and, and are yelling it out and, you know, drawing attention to that like it almost becomes like okay you seem to be like 
like you're you're a little bit too eager to make yourself known mm. as that right so i i mean right and, and i don't i mean i don't have an answer to that because i right. think obviously there are like those are sort of two different situations or or whatever but it does seem to be that like there is there is a desire right. i think for feminists to have more people who might be like fellow travelers or whatever you want to call it but like who maybe dislike the term feminism to like mm -hmm. embrace that term mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time then there's people like well like joss whedon who maybe have embraced that term a little too tightly and are you know mm -hmm. now being revealed as maybe not quite you, you know using right. it as a word but not really you know using it to you, you know not really demonstrating maybe the values or the the right you know um actions that should go along with right you know calling yourself a feminist right and to what extent did he kind of buy into his own myth you know of like you know like i i think it can get into a cycle of am I a feminist because of what I think and how I behave or do I behave these ways because I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist and therefore it must be okay. Like, you sure. know, like, do you stop thinking about what does that mean? And, and I think it's, if, if, if there are men who, you know, feel strongly about equal rights for women in all things, then by all means, call yourself a feminist. And I think just the, 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 the warning is that that's not enough. Like it actually does matter what you do. <laughs> like you don't just like suddenly become infallible because you embrace a, a you know, a social term. Um, so, yeah. So I do um, actually do want to just probably should have noted this up front. Um, this is from one person's perspective in what clearly is a very painful divorce and separation process so you know sure there is that aspect too that um w without doubting anything that she says or mm -hmm. um you know anything like that like there is potential that like maybe you know well, I mean, it's certainly her view of how this stuff happened, right? Like, I mean, that she wrote it. It's mm -hmm. clearly the stuff that she's concerned with and is thinking about. Um, there is a note at the end of it that, um, like, Joss Whedon's, was it his lawyer or, like, the studio? Or right, they, like, made whatever, no comment like, or something, yeah. Yeah, basically, like, oh, there are some factual errors, but they don't specify what those are, and then right. are just kind of like, you know, Joss Whedon isn't responding. So, like... Right, right. You know, okay. Um, you know, right. I is the not responding to like. You know, does that mean that like? He yeah. can't deny anything. I mean, they seem to claim that there's like some factual errors. So, but what are those? Like, right, right. Who who knows? Like, it's really hard to say. But again, like, this is clearly her her perspective on it, and and I don't think. Like, I don't think anyone, like, again, is, like, surprised necessarily that the affair has happened. And, like, like I don't think there's any question there. It's it's really just wanting to note that, like, 
there might be a little bit different perspective coming from him. Right. That we that don't, might we, be like, there, other there than, likely yeah. is. And right. we just simply, other don't, than, we don't have that. Other than the quotes that she pulls, we have no comment right. from Joss on this. Right. So what his, what his side of it or his reaction to it would be, we, we won't know unless he writes a statement. I mean, I feel like if there's serious factual errors, I feel like that'll come either he'll make a statement and, or you or we'll get wind yeah. of like some sort of legal action because she's trying to ruin his career here. Like, like, yeah, it kind of, you know, and so I feel like, I mean, this is just my personal sitting here watching this unfold and my perspective. It's not in any way definitive of what is objectively happening, but I feel like, if she's like slandering him and it's not true um, for his career, if for nothing else, he will react to that and retaliate against that. And if, and if not, then I guess you interpret his silence however you want to, you know? Um, right. Cause I mean, this isn't just breaking news. Shockingly, another Hollywood director had an affair with somebody it's like mm -hmm. this is her attacking again his the whole foundation of his kind of Whedonverse. like of like not the only pillar but one of the major pillars that it's I mean, built on that she's kind of knocking the foundation out from underneath to say not just he cheated on me but he's duping you the fans like that's kind of what she's saying is like telling people whether or not we agree or want to buy into it she's telling us not to get taken the way that she was you know sure which i feel like is more serious than just um she commented to a reporter that the divorce happened because he had an affair like it's more right. it's more elaborate than that it's more intentional than that she's trying to make a point here um yeah so yeah his reaction to that i think will say a lot about <laughs> like you know and you know whatever whatever uh the history books are gonna write i feel like the way he sure. reacts to this or doesn't is gonna like be a big piece of that yeah well so um yeah, a couple of thoughts there. So you mentioned, you know, she's trying to ruin his career, or at least it seems like she might be trying to. And, do and it, I mean, that least... even makes it sound cattier than I mean. Like, but I yeah, mean, no, no, no. Just in a I... very, in a very literal sense, I kind of feel like that's the intent here is to under uh, kind of, you know, undermine if, if not or, his career or, at at least his reputation. reputation. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, and what maybe I that's say maybe that that's I, the better word. I. I, I wanted to point that out just because I think, um, so we're both members of the Whedon Studies Association, um, where there's been quite a bit of conversation, as one might expect, um, about this. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that comes up quite a bit. Um, I think sort of the original post even asked that, like, what do you think about, you know, it, will this ruin his career? And, I mean, the fact of the matter is this type of stuff doesn't ruin the careers of men who are you know, uh, infidelitous, is that mm -hmm. the right word? Um, or, uh, you know, 
kind of go through these things and, and right there's different levels and different uh uh yeah maybe different like types of things you know you think of like some like Roman Polanski and right. you know or right Woody um, Allen Woody Allen um or you think about some of the you know maybe so uh another another one that popped up um i don't remember if it was in that discussion or somewhere else was um like michael bay who uh mm-hmm. you know for the transformers movie had like a private audition with you know megan fox supposedly you know where he had her like wash his ferrari you know in sexy outfits kind of so like just stuff like that where like right you know right it doesn't necessarily Maybe. spell the end of their career. <laughs> right. Like, I don't think Michael Bay is going to not have movies, you know, anytime right. soon. Right. Um, how good they are or whether he should right. is a different, a different topic. Question. Maybe. Right. Right. Um, right. It certainly like, hasn't slowed Woody Allen down. That's for sure. Yeah. Like those, those things haven't. Um, the other thing though, that I kind of makes me curious is that it does feel like, so, you know, um, I think the other thing, I don't think we talked about this in um, the main discussion, and, and maybe I should have gone back and actually listened to it before we recorded this addendum. But, um, you know, recently you had like the Google incident with the engineer there who like wrote his memo and, right. you know, mm-hmm. arguing that like there were biological differences between men and women, and that might mm-hmm. account for some of. Uh, the diversity and, and this and that, um, the, the diversity problems mm-hmm. that they're, that they're having at Google, um, not the diversity because right. the, the, the lack of is the issue. Right. Um, anyway, right, so right. Google, you know, let fired that guy. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like between that, um, some of the issues with like the Confederate statues and stuff that's going on right now, which isn't mm-hmm. feminist, but is diversity related clearly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sort of, I, I do feel like there's an interesting sort of air or zeitgeist or whatever you want to call it right now, culturally speaking, where I'm not so sure that it wouldn't at least put a damper in his career. Now ruin it. Like, is he never going to make movies again? Like, mm-hmm he's got enough money he could probably still make his own movies um you know sure like at least to some extent um right and i mean you know he's 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 made the avengers movies like some of the top grossing movies in the world um he's currently which might be part of the reason why he didn't respond right away it, you know he's currently working on um the justice league movie which he took over from uh that's Zack right Snyder. that's right um and and, oh, and i wonder like, if i wonder if he'll remain on that project well, and uh, Warner Brothers has already announced that immediately after that is when he'll start working on his Batgirl movie. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like that's that's my my question is that's like I actually kind of feel hard to see that happening. I'd be really it, surprised if if he. I kind of feel yeah. like if 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 there's an effect on his career, maybe again, maybe it's not mm-hmm. ruined. But if there's an effect on his career, like there, there's certainly a sort of movement in the air now mm-hmm. more than I would, I would argue more than any time since now where yeah. 
where this sort of news could affect that. And like, if that's what Kai Cole is trying to do, I, so I don't want to, I don't want to put any sort of, um, I don't know, aspersions or, or intent. Cause I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I simply don't, obviously I don't know her. I don't, you know, want, want to read yeah. more into it. But if, if that is an intent that she does have, like kind of a really perfect time to publish this sort of piece, uh, you know, if it was strategically done. Now, it may be that, because mm-hmm. um, she does talk about having been um, uh, diagnosed as having complex PTSD, um, which mm-hmm. I don't honestly know much about. Most of what I've heard about PTSD has been in relation to, like, war and, you know, people coming right. back from, like, Iraq and Afghanistan. And stuff. So I, I don't I don't know anything, to be honest, about the condition. But if this is something where it's, like, maybe even writing this article and getting it published is like a therapeutic thing for her. And Mm -hmm. it's like, whatever happens to him be damned. It's maybe Mm -hmm. she completely wrote it just for herself to get it out there and, and purged from her own, you know, sort of thing like that. I could totally see that being true too. So I don't, I don't want to imply that she's trying to do anything with his career. No. And I and um, I agree. Like, but if she, I agree. But even if she if is, this is a really good time partly, to do it. <laughs> she did it well. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, even if that is in her intent or not, um, I mean, I don't necessarily that makes it. That doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Like, I mean, I think no, there, no. there's a there's a case to to be made that you know he he did what he did, and it it had a profound effect on her life. And I think you could equally make the argument of it's her right to tell her story as she sees it. And it may have a profound effect on his life, you know? Um, Well, and, and I would be surprised, like just going back to the inaccuracies thing, like I would be surprised if she didn't have like her lawyer take a look at this, right? Like, right. Right. I mean, you know, and that's why I suspect that like, he's not going to like, sue her for libel or anything like I feel like right I don't think she's I mean I'm 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 I feel pretty confident to say I'm convinced that she's not making this up right like she's not oh yeah now he may put a different spin on some of the language to to give his perspective or to justify something um but I don't think it's going to be the case of I'm sure you will get this accusation but I don't think it's going to come out that she's, you know, like they like they say, these women that accuse Cosby or accuse Trump or whatever that like, you know, sure. I mean, I don't disbelieve those women either. But like, I don't know. I really don't think that anybody's going to have much evidence of that in this case for her. Because um, I like it's too big of a thing, like you said, for her to not do it in a in an intentional and in a legally butt covering sort of way, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, one of the other things that um, came up that I honestly, and you know, I'm a man, so, you know, I'm not necessarily going to think of these things, but I'm glad people point out stuff that hopefully can help me become a little more enlightened anyway. Um, but like another thing that, that I know some people express concern about is um that this could turn into a story of like, well, who did he sleep with? And, you know, right. who were these actresses yeah. or fans yeah. or whatever? And, and 
right. you know, could that become a thing there? And, and I mean, Kai Cole didn't name anyone and, and you wouldn't expect her to, cause it, that wasn't right. what it was about. Um, right. But, but everybody's going to have their theory and yeah. Yeah. You could see that being right. Mm -hmm. Like, was it one of the big stars in mm -hmm. any of his shows or, you know, main characters or, or whatever, or, you know, even if it wasn't like, you know, who are these people are, are there kids from any right. of these, right. you know, affairs or whatever, um, you know, and those types of things. And, and it be, you know, being shifted sort of from him as culprit to these other women who sort of, you know, were involved and at what level and how, and how much blame or whatever they might have, which again, like, Kai Cole didn't necessarily blame the affair as an affair, but it's because of the lying and stuff. And so any of these other women who mm -hmm. were involved, like they're, you know, they're not the ones who lied to their spouse. I mean, maybe some of them had spouses and whether they lied to those people or not is a different issue, but like mm -hmm. they aren't responsible to Kai Cole, right? Like they weren't in a relationship with her. Whedon was the one right. in a relationship. And so like, there's, I, I know some people have had concerns about that. Like, will will this become more of like, for lack of a better term, a witch hunt? You know, of trying to right. find out who, you know, it was that he slept with, and you know, kind of casting mm -hmm. aspersions or, uh, or even just focus whether it's aspersions or not. Like, just even sort of removing focus off of of him as being at fault and sort of moving it over to these other people who, you know, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. And yeah. that, that will be, that could, I can definitely see that happening. Um, and, um, that will be very tough and unfortunate if, if it shifts attention, like negative hounding and media attention onto like, you know it's going to be the actresses. Like nobody knows who the right. who the assistant editor is. You know, like it's not sure. It's the, it, I mean, I mean, maybe it'll come out that it was the assistant editor, but like I think what the the more likely it's going to follow around these actresses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, or maybe some. I mean, may or maybe more profile like writers or producers or something potentially it could. You know, right. The the, right. the names that people know. Um, and yeah, that could get quite ugly if, if it becomes about trying to corner them into a confession or something. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, hopefully it doesn't go that direction and people are able to sort of just leave it where it is, sure. you know, and, um, you know, so um, maybe not to get too much into this part, but I mean, you know, we kind of mentioned, um, you know, there, there, this isn't the first time sort of someone has said like, Hey, maybe Joss Whedon isn't the feminist he believes himself to be or claims to be. Um, mm -hmm. and so there are definitely, uh, you know, some folks out there who have said that sort of thing, but I mean, obviously, you know, Kai Cole for various reasons, uh, you know, wanting one of them having been married to him for so long. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, you know, her, her sort of word is gives even greater weight. But um, one of the, and I'm not in any, so I'm jump, I'm, I'm extending our conversation, but I don't in any way want to apply that. She's one of the actors who maybe he did anything with, but there has long been some critique around uh, charisma carpenter and, and the -hmm. way that she was sort of treated and, I want I want to hesitate a little bit here, um, and maybe we'll be a little vaguer than people would like listening, uh, just because we're mm-hmm. going through season four of Angel right now, and some of the stuff um, that sort of ended up happening with Charisma Carpenter and Joss Whedon, sort of between them, professionally and personally, um, as far as bad feelings and that kind of thing goes. Uh, happened during the season and so um without giving anything away what i'll just sort of describe the situation and then we can as we continue to sort of talk through the season uh for an angel and and into season five we can maybe discuss you know what if any effect any of the outside stuff had on the plot um basically uh Season four ends up, for for all intents and purposes, really being Cordelia, uh, her last season on the show, Charisma Carpenter's last season on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the the short version of the story is that uh, she got married in like two thousand two, um, and became pregnant fairly quickly after that. So she ended up being pregnant while uh, they were filming season four of Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, based on something I read or, or heard somewhere, uh, like her due date would have been around the time that they were filming episode 18 of, of the season. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't, I don't know the shooting schedule, like how long that is, but they, they work that out and figure it out and ended up um, having to rewrite uh, quite a bit uh, of her arc and, and sort of the things that happen on the show um, they knew, so we've already talked a little bit, um, I think, uh, where, where, where are we actually when we're going to release this? I forget <laughs> um, exactly where, but basically they knew oh, who the heck um, knows? <laughs> where, where, where they were starting, you know, with season four, like that part didn't change. Um, and they had a general idea of where they were going with like the season and the big bad and some of that, but they didn't have all the details worked out. And so they ended up having um, to rewrite that. And um, there's an interview we can actually link to um, with Tim Minear. And it's actually a rather long interview with them. It's like a couple hours, but um, Tim Minear and David Fury. Um, and they talk about this, um, you know, and talk about sort of rewriting. So, I mean, on the one hand, the, the argument is that like she got pregnant and then um, as she has told in a, at a number of conventions and, and in other sort of media, um, the, she, they, they basically fired her uh, between seasons four and five. Mm-hmm. She didn't find out from Whedon or even Jeffrey Bell, right. who was the executive producer at that point. She literally right. found out from like a reporter who called her to ask her like about being fired from the show. Right. And it's right. just like, it was just a really, really right. bad way to do it. Caused a lot of problems. Um, certainly caused speculation as to why. I mean, Cordelia, to this point, is like one of the... I mean, she started out first 
episode of Buffy, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and continued all the way through the end of season four. I mean, certainly as long uh, season four of Angel, certainly as long as any of the main characters, longer than Angel himself, because he isn't introduced to like a couple episodes into. <laughs> Right, like the first season, mm-hmm. I think, um, or at least if he's introduced, it's like, oh, hi, I'm Angel, and then like we don't actually see him until you know and right. get to know him as a character right. until later. No, so, like, she's one of like, the original just, main characters, yeah, yeah, original cast, like right up there, you know, with everyone else, and so, um, yeah, just you know, really, uh really sort of blown at that point as to what's going on. Um, and, and to find out in this really awful way, um, you know, that she's not coming back, uh, to the show, um, you know, put obviously clear damper. Um, she, uh, she has said she believes that that was because Whedon was pissed. Mm-hmm. Listening to the interview with Mynir and Fury, they talk about rewriting her character. They don't bring any of that up. Of course, it's a public interview. Maybe they're being, you know, diplomatic or, or politic or whatever right. um, about it. And and not, whether it's their true feelings or not on the subject, or maybe they just have different feelings than we didn't have altogether. But um, she certainly seemed to think that it had to do with her pregnancy, that, that he was pissed over that. And so a lot of, um, bringing this back around to our, our discussion, a lot of the criticism against Whedon being a feminist um has stemmed from that uh that action that that's one big uh thing that's well documented I mean like there's articles about her not coming back to the show she's Mm -hmm. talked about it a lot at conventions I mean at conventions years later um there's a bit of time you know between when that happened and whatever um but yeah there's there's definitely uh, you know, something there as far as a lot of people sort of using that um, to, to point to that as an example of, right. you know, Whedon not being really great on the feminism side. Um, a lot of people, you know, who make that argument too point at um, some of the work. And I think we, we went through, you know, some of like the storyline stuff uh, a little bit more in, in, you know, earlier in this episode, which we recorded a few weeks ago, but um you know, and we can continue talking as we talk through specific episodes about some of that stuff. Um, you know, and I don't, I, you know, I mean, I, it, it just seems like this is another big, very big piece, like, you know, bigger than any other piece mm-hmm. that we've had so far to sort of point to that. And it it stinks because, I'll you know, I'll be honest from my point of view, like, I really like the work that Whedon does. and And you would like to think that he holds up to the level that he's set for himself and certainly that others would want to hold him to. Um, but also like the level, like that you feel like his own work sort of would want to hold him up to, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I worded that quite well, but. Um, well, right. Because he's, it's not, it's not even just like, um, oh, we expect people to behave um, uh, morally in a professional setting. There's that. But then it's also the idea, and I think this has been a a debate that will continue probably as long as there are people talking about these things, is like, how do people 
write these stories that are beautiful and profound and uh, inspiring and touch people and then not just fail to live up to them, but fail to live up to them in such contradictory ways, you know? Um, and I think that's something we're not going to answer right now, but I'd like to keep talking about is, you know, to what extent should you or can you um, separate the art from the artist? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are the kind of ethical and um, or aesthetic uh differences there um you know and I've seen reactions across the board I've seen you know um you know people kind of say like that's this is why I don't I can't I don't like Whedon anymore I can't watch Buffy that's like kind of the end of the, even if they used to love it that kind of ruined their relationship with the story um mm -hmm. and then I've seen other people say you know like his personal conduct really has no relationship to my relationship with the show. Like kind of once, once he puts it out there in the world, it exists beyond him. And it's kind of like, he's not even really part of the equation anymore. It's you and the text and in dialogue. Sure. And, and so you may disapprove of the way he yeah. behaves in his personal life, but that doesn't mean you can't still love and value the work that he created. And also the 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 thing that I keep seeing and I think is the best point is that loving a thing and being able to critique a thing don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I think sure. on both sides, I think just because you love it, um, there are people who love a thing so much that they can't hear any criticism of it. And that's not uh, great. Um, but also like, I don't, I think it, you can go too far in the opposite direction and say like, well, because so-and-so created this and he's, you know, did whatever, therefore the thing is crap and anybody who likes it is stupid. Like, that's not right either. Um, sure. It's that, it's, there's somewhere in the middle. And I think we have to find a way to uh, maturely appreciate something while also being kind of open to discussing its flaws too. And that's a possible thing. I mean, we're, everybody's kind of reeling from the shock of the announcement, but um, the work kind of lives on. He's not the first, you know, author to uh, have a, a morally shady yeah. personal life. Um, and people will continue to discuss his work, I'm sure. Sure. And and there may even be an argument that authors and artists and those types of people are even notorious for having maybe worse, <laughs> whether that's true or not, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether that's factual or not. Um, there certainly seems to be a, uh, like we were talking about with sort of the Hollywood factor, like there, there's certainly at least a stereotype that, mm -hmm. that maybe... Um, the, the the flawed artist is mm -hmm. uh, a bit of a you know trope right. or, or whatever you want to call it right um, right right and some so, and somehow however these things happen it doesn't not always stop them from writing um insightful things you know people manage to uh create stories of quite profound insight 
despite their their human flaws and that's just apparently just a reality of being human but i also don't think that that means that it's perfect and um sure you know i think we will be tempted and i'm sure succumb to the impulse to want to look at some things in a new light given this revelation like maybe when there are critiques yeah, you can't help but take them a little more seriously after something like this, you know? Like, mm. that's just the reality. There's not much we can do about that, I don't think. Yeah. So we went a little um, uh, over the, the time we spent <laughs> intended. Yeah. But that's okay. That's okay, though. Um, this is big news. Yeah, it is. And I mean, you know, it fits well with our other discussion. Um, just sort of too bad we couldn't yeah. put it a little more seamlessly. In, no, that, but, but but I'm I'm glad that we're able to, to add in some thoughts before we post it. We were actually planning to post this episode this week, and we're sneaking in a last minute, like, edit here. So it, it uh, on a purely selfish note, the, the timing <laughs> could have been worse sure. from our perspective, but... Um, um, yeah, no, and I mean, it'll be interesting to see what other, uh, news or, or tidbits or, or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, come out about all of this. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, I think, I think it's certainly not going to be a one and done. Like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, it yeah. could be like maybe in a week people will forget about it or whatever. I, I don't know. I feel like there's just... Like I, I, I agree before, with you. I just think there's something of that. in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough there, there's of something that. in the like, air right we've... now of like we're not gonna just put up with this stuff. Like there's a, mm -hmm. and I don't mean this in a bad way, but there is that sense of like of a zero tolerance kind of policy yeah. right now. You know, and maybe that's yeah, no, for the better. You know, put I up, don't know. Yeah, like like we've put up with it enough and. You know what? What uh, mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. Like you know, like very much. Yeah. Yeah. There does seem to be that uh, aspect to some of the stuff right. that's going on right now, for for better or worse. I mean, I would I won't say that attitude is always good, and but you know, it certainly can be useful at times. So, you know. Um, yeah, and and I feel like I don't necessarily want to see him become the scapegoat for every. Hollywood director who's ever treated, you know, his wife or his female co-workers poorly. Like, he's one person, and he doesn't bear the entire weight of the sexist Hollywood industry. Um, but on the other hand, I do think there is that aspect of there have been plenty of men like, like the Woody Allens and like the Roman Planskys who have continued on their merry way, making movies for a long time past some pretty terrible scandals. And I think there is something that is getting to the point of people are tired of that, of, of kind of being okay yeah. with going to the movies, paying money to see, you know, movies by guys who kind of can do anything and get away with it. I mean, and that has something to do with our politics too, I think right now of like, this sense sure. of these invincible men, you know, and, you know, again, I don't want it to be that Whedon 
becomes the scapegoat for everyone else who's ever cheated. Um, but it may be that like he is, this is happening at a time where that is not necessarily going to just be swept under the rug anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So time will tell, I guess. Yeah, or we may both be wrong and <laughs> none of that will happen. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and if it does, then again, wouldn't be the first time that this just would kind of blow over and not have much of an effect. Yeah. So um, I don't really necessarily wish for that either. Um, but well, yeah, we will. We will see what we see and keep having our discussions and <laughs> that's all we can do. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely think, I mean, let's, especially now that, I mean, not that I think we've been terrible about bringing up, you know, gender issues and stuff, you know, in the past, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll continue to talk about specific episodes and that kind of thing, both in Whedon shows and, and other shows that we do. Um, one other thing that I want to mention, and I just sort of forgot to, I know we're kind of wrapping up, but, um, you know, you mentioned on, on the October bit too, uh, you know, about whether the work is something different. Um, there's a collaborativeness in TV that mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, there's collaboration in movies, but I feel like with movies, Absolutely. there is the sense of like the, the director is sort of the, the last, mm -hmm. you know, be all and end all. But I feel like there's more so in television mm -hmm. you get that sense um that i think we've even talked about before about the the writer of the episode is really um kind of the one to do it so there's and and we've seen before where like you know like a, a episode's writer will say oh well that was something that um you know the director of this episode pitched and so we added it in or right. you know that that line was written by so-and-so rather than me, you know, Jane Espenson wrote that line or something. Right. And, and, you know, it'll be some, or, you know, Joss Whedon maybe wrote it or whoever, like, you know, that there does seem to be more of a flow and a give and take and things get rewritten on the fly and or changed based on maybe budgetary concerns or whatever, or, Oh, Hey, wouldn't it be cool this, or we need to move this episode up because we're not going to have that actor, you know, that week. And so we're going to need to do a different episode. And, and so I feel like there's just a lot more mm -hmm. fluidity and collaboration and some of that. So that might also be an argument for, maybe it lessens like mm -hmm. the weedenness enough to say like it's still worth talking about <laughs> um i mean sure. and not that i even think that it wouldn't be worth talking about if it was whedon himself but at least like there's that aspect of it it's not just whedon alone who yeah. is responsible for the success or the failure like mm -hmm. it, there is a there is a collaboration there um no, yeah, that's that's that a really a good point. That's a really good point that like to keep in mind of of we think of Buffy and these shows as the weed inverse, but um but they were made with a lot of collaboration by like Marty Noxon and Tim Minear and Jane Espenson and all these people that we've been talking about that they made huge yeah. contributions to the storytelling. Um you know, and so and you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that's, um, you know, just something to keep. Yeah. I mean, I think it, for personal reasons, look, if somebody on a personal level just decides 
whatever, that's it. I mean, I can't tell them that's wrong. That's their decision. Um, but just on my sure. general, just as a general kind of where do I land on this issue, I, I yeah. tend to be the more cautious, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater type. And I feel like even if we can find aspects of it that are disappointing, given this, this information, that doesn't necessarily mean that it, it doesn't erase the things that it did well. Um, and it doesn't erase the things we didn't did well. And it certainly doesn't erase the contributions of all those other people. Um, mm -hmm. So, and it's something that's, I think, going to be unique for him because his oeuvre does have like, it's so associated with him in particular. Um, whereas like, I feel like there were certainly eras of the classic series of Doctor Who that had producers who were um, followed by scandal, let's say. Um, and people sure. may have mixed feelings on the seasons that they produced um, that may or may not relate to those, the behavior of those producers. But you can also kind of more easily say, well, that was that era. And it's much easier to dissociate and say, like, like the, the, the guy who was in charge for much of the 80s, John Nathan Turner, has a lot of, you know, stories associated with him. I think it's very easy for people to say, well, he was a creep and I don't like the John Nathan Turner era of the show. But, like, they, they can dissociate that from the other eras where somebody else came in and it was a totally different thing. Um, whereas with... There was more of that passing of the baton. Whereas I feel like with the Whedon shows, whether or not he wrote them all and maybe gets too much credit compared to some of the other writers who contributed, it's going to be really hard to separate any of it from him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a little unfortunate because um, he didn't make it by himself. So... No, certainly. And I mean, for better or worse, like even if, you know, you can criticize him as not being as feminist as he claims to be, and even maybe some of those shows, but but like you pointed out, like you have people like Jane Espenson and Marty Knox and, and like you, you can't, you know, claim they're not feminists, you know, certainly. Mm -hmm. And and that's where both of them, I believe, really kind of got their their start, or at least their push. I mean, they might have worked on stuff before that, but like that's really what kind right, of right, really them, cut their teeth, you know, there. In, yeah, into yeah. Uh, you know going on to things like BSG and Torchwood and whatever. Um, uh, you know, we can and are in some cases, you know, critiquing those shows separately. Um, but you know, it's even it at least gave some of those other people a platform for their feminism um which you know isn't to be stained or you know criticized based on whedon's uh you know actions certainly so um there's at least right. that much right well. or or, um, or they should be they should be discussed and critiqued on their own merits and not um right exactly taken yeah. down with the with the whedon ship if it's if it is if it's going down i mean mm -hmm. we'll see so um and which is nice because actually, um, not not the one we're recording tonight, but the next Buffy episode after that uh, will be uh, 
will be a Jane Espenson episode. So we can, um, good. And, and a very good one and, and well-received one. So we can, we can good. maybe discuss more. Uh, about All right. That. So we'll kind of cleanse All our right. palate with a good, with a good Jane Espenson episode. Yeah. Well, and yes. Oh, sorry. We, we can't talk about the episode we were going to talk about. We have to stop this recording and start a new one. Um, yes. so with that in mind, we hope everyone, um, Enjoyed is enjoyed the right word. Uh, this very special episode uh, of Cat and Kurt's tea review. Review. Um, no, I think it's it's a worthy discussion, and and I do at least hope you uh, all have enjoyed at least thinking about these issues, even if maybe they're not um, the most you know fun topics to discuss at times. I don't. Yeah. I'm rambling. So sorry. Um, on that note, we'll be back with another episode next week. Sounds good. See you then.